The Hurling Pod on OTB Sports. I look at the way Kikini celebrate. I look at the way Limerick celebrates a monster, right? To, to go, we actually want to win the next you know, Or the treatment is just another game, another step stone. That's, that's the question I have. Subscribe to the GA Podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. The US Open, which was one of the great recent major championships, the scrap down the back nine between Matt Fitzpatrick, Will Zalatoris, Scotty Scheffler, and a really great supporting cast of Matsuyama, Rory McIlroy, John Ram, players you all thought might be able to make a bit of a run in that back nine. Never quite happened for any of them. And yeah, Matt Fitzpatrick, first ever major US Open champion came in this week hotly tipped don't know if you know this but he won the US Amateur there in 2013 <laughs> uh, they might have mentioned this once or twice uh, and to hit some of the shots he hit on that back nine he hit all the great moments seemed to come from Matt Fitzpatrick in yesterday's final round and because of that I think he was more than a deserving winner and the celebrations were, were just brilliant I was saying they were somewhat reminiscent of Shane Lowry in Portrush, obviously not the same crowd because this was over in America, but he seemed to have so many family members and friends there. And he's been waiting a long time for this. He's been, uh, you know, the next big thing in English golf. He's had a lot of success in the European Tour, never won in America before, uh, but he was just sensational yesterday. And the, the bunker shot on 18, where you thought, this this could be another blow-up. Remember, Scotty Scheffler, double bogey, four-putted, 18, got away with it at the Masters. We did double bogey for Mita Pereira, who was cruising to victory at the PGA. Like, these things do happen. And Fitzpatrick uh, somehow managed to basically slice one onto the green and two-putted and gets himself a major championship. And he was saying afterwards that his fairway bunkers have been a big problem recently and that's the one place where he didn't want to go. I was thinking full-on Mito Pereira when he goes left off the 18th tee. Probably got a tiny bit fortunate in that that was the only shot that was on. So he didn't really have to overly think it. Now he still had to execute it under enormous pressure, uh, knowing that Will Zalatoris was hot in his heels, knowing that Scotty Scheffler was already in the clubhouse on five under par. But I think once he stepped up and realised he wasn't right behind it and there was an angle just out to the left that he could slice it around or fade it around, that he probably knew that he could pull that off, but it was still one of the great shots. Like People always talk about Sandy Lyle's bunker shot, the Masters is the greatest bunker shot of all time. That one will probably be shown for years and years as well. And oh, it was just so much drama. The course, Brookline, was one of the stars of the show as well because every hole brought into play the possibility of bogey, double bogey, which meant nobody could ever say comfortable. And Fitzpatrick finished on six under par, which is interesting because it felt six under par... Uh, was sort of kryptonite for these players. Every time someone got six on the par, instantly they just fell back to the field. Whether it was Colin Marikawa on the Saturday, uh, John Ram, uh, Scotty Scheffler, they just couldn't seem to get to that number and stay there. But Fitzpatrick did it. That's the perfect winning score, isn't it? Or, or something close to it. You don't want players winning with 20 under well, par. Well, not a US Open. Uh, the US Open often used to pride itself on level par being the winning score. And... If the rain hadn't arrived on Saturday night, we may well have ended up with a winning score of somewhere around level par. We were recording Golf Weekly, our, our watch-along yesterday morning at about half 11. We were saying, you know, what would Rory McIlroy be happy with? And so I said, if he got finished on two under par, he'd probably take it right now. But that was before we knew what the weather forecast was like. And there was some heavy rain, which softened up the course, which made it a little bit more accessible. And there wasn't quite the same a level of wind yesterday as there was on Saturday, which meant that scoring was somewhat better. And we did see some good low scoring in there, like Scotty Scheffler 
shot a 67 uh, you know, in one of those final groups. So if it was like Saturday, I think we probably would have finished with a, a score of, of level par. But it had a bit of everything across the week where scoring on Saturday was so tough, where any time anyone went long on the green or you know, that real deep rough just around the green, you weren't able to get out of it. So, yeah, I think six under par gives you the sort of drama you want. And you also want the two head honchos playing together as well. To be honest with you, I thought Scheffler was going to win this thing, especially that moment when he's on the eighth hole where he has to take two pitches where the ball rolls back to him the second time he absolutely nails it. Like I thought, well, that's that's your highlight reel straight away. And with the pitching wedge wasn't it at Augusta was one of the, the more iconic moments where mm. he, he actually pitches in. And I thought, you know, this, we're, we're seeing this all over again. Scheffler's going to win this thing. But the fact that it turned out to be Fitzpatrick and Zalatoris was the thing that made it. And even on the 11th hole, you're thinking Zalatoris at this point when like he makes the, the birdie put on par three, Fitzpatrick misses. And then on the 12th, it was the following hole, wasn't it, where Zalatoris makes his par saving put from Monster Range. And you're like, this is Will Zalatoris' moment. And, uh, and Matt Fitzpatrick might not be able to do a whole lot about it. And at the end of the day, it was still just an inch between Zalatoris and a playoff, which would have taken this night into to a whole other level. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think this was the first time the US Open at Brookline where there wasn't a playoff to decide and everyone felt like it was heading that way throughout uh, the entire tournament. Like Zalatoris, as a bit of a superstar who has yet to actually win a golf tournament on the PGA Tour, uh, but his record in the majors is ridiculous. He's already finished as runner-up in the Masters, the PGA and the US Open now over the last two years. For a guy who a lot of people feel can't put and on the regular PGA Tour just can't. He's one of the worst putters out there at they showed a slow motion of his short range putting technique and like it's like something if an amateur had it if uh, someone like me you know 20 handicapper had it so, you it's got, so what strange are you doing? like what is it is it like it, it, that's his stroke week in week out on the PGA Tour because it looks like an, a nervous putting stroke oh well he pulls it back it sort of moves around in a little circle and then he hits it off the toe and I think what happens at majors, why it doesn't impact them, is that the greens are so much tougher generally at majors that it's a bit of a leveller, that the best putters can't use their skill to full effect because there's just so much difficulty involved. It brings everybody into it. So on the regular PGA Tour season where maybe the greens are a bit easier, it's the best putters who come to the fore. But his long-range putting, there's never been an issue with. And he actually doesn't miss that many of the short putts. You just wonder how sustainable it is, that sort of technique and the nerves that it must induce. But, yeah, he he's pulled off a full-scale Louis Westhazen already in his career of finishing runner-up in everything. What's uh, the Westhazen number? Four? I think it's more than that. Is it? I think it's more than that. Louis has one, at least. Louis has yeah, one, at least. Fair. Uh, but, yeah, Zalatoris is still a young guy. And, yeah, it was one of those tournaments you just did not want to end. Uh, Leona Maguire then uh, this was something that as the, the evening went on you know, we're kind of like Oof, probably need to get the laptop out here just to make sure that this playoff doesn't happen because it will be rather extraordinary if uh, she managed to find herself into uh, a playoff situation here on the final day of, of her competition she was 7 under for her final round and essentially gets into a three way tie with Kupcho and Korda two of uh, the finest players on the LPGA Tour, like, I mean, I mean um, Nelly Corda is somebody that she beat in, um, was it the, the four ball or the four mm, at the both. Salheim last year in both? Uh, and of course, then the, the other player in the, the singles uh, coming down the home stretch at the Salheim last year. So somebody that she was very familiar with and he thought that if she gets into a playoff, that she'll be able to potentially uh, beat one of them. So this was unbelievably dramatic because it looked like Cup Joe was going to win this a hole earlier than she did. I'm not sure how far away the putt was that she missed. It was like four feet or oh, something like at that. Most, it, at most it was four feet. It was done. 
it was done and that was her opportunity to win it and she missed it and you're thinking to yourself oh my god that is absolutely brutal but this is Leona Maguire's to lose now off the second playoff tee Leona Maguire goes way right and all of a sudden you're thinking it's swung the other way but it swings back in Leona Maguire's favour after an incredible recovery would which just fades beautifully onto the green and you're thinking at that point with Leona Maguire tapping in that when they go to a third playoff hole that this is Leona Maguire very much in the driving seat but that third playoff hole didn't happen at all Leona Maguire misses a cup-to-esque, has a cup-to-esque miss in, in the second playoff hole herself and it's absolutely cruel that that's how it ended for her last night yeah, I think the way Cupcho played and the chances she had, she was probably a deserving winner. But you just thought that maybe it was written in the stars that Leona Maguire was going to win this tournament when Cupcho missed that short putt on on the first playoff hole. But then Leona Maguire would be kicking herself for the putt she missed on the second playoff hole. Uh, Leona Maguire probably needed this. She's missed four of the last five cuts. But there's something about big tournaments and going against the best players in the world that seems to bring out the best in Leona Maguire. Like her best performance recently was at the US Women's Open, one of the majors. And. Nelly Corda, Jennifer Cupcho. So Cupcho, we know she took a part in the in the Solheim Cup, and they have a long storied history together throughout the college scene as well, where they were constantly battling with each other. And Nelly Corda, I, I don't know what the history between Leona Maguire and Nelly Corda is, but whenever her name comes up in an interview with Leona Maguire, and we've had Leona on the show quite a few times on Golf Weekly over the last year, and we've Listen to her dad a few times as well. And he's mentioned it. That Nelly Corda, maybe it's just simply the fact that she is the best player in the world. She's number two at the moment because uh, she's been out with an injury. But there's something about Nelly Corda that always seems to almost change the tone of Leona Maguire's response. That you know she brings out the absolute best in Leona Maguire in competing with her. And you just feel that the confidence that this should give Leona Maguire at a crucial time of the season. There's a major next week. The USPGA is on a congressional where... You know, Rory McIlroy, a congressional Irish players have a stunning success through the years. At that, yes, Leon Maguire, just at the right time of the season, is finding her form again. And it's probably not surprising that she had a run of uh, missed cuts, considering all she's had to deal with over the past six months and a real life-changing uh, six to nine months with what happened at the Solheim Cup and winning on the LPGA Tour for the first time. Uh, but you watch her last night, and she she totally belongs in that sort of company. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, a major congressional this weekend for her as well. So uh, we'll be keeping an eye on Leona Maguire as the week continues. It is 7.42. You're with us here on Monday's OTBAM. It's brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It is time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is just lacked that intensity. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And every week we're giving away a Gillette Labs shaving kit be with a chance of winning one just let us know who you think should make the performance rankings the best place to enter is on the off the ball Instagram page you'll see the comments box in our story which is put up generally every Sunday night and uh, Nathan you're taking us through the red to the green this morning we're starting in the red and just a couple of other golf things to tie up Uh, the live tour performances over the course of the weekend not great well, we're just uh, bringing you the latest instalment of the worldwide smear campaign mm. against the Live Golf Tour, and they're in the red in the performance rankings. It wasn't a good weekend for the Live Golf Tour players. Uh, Dustin Johnson, the only one inside the top 25. He may well have been the only one inside the top 50. Phil Mickelson finishing up on 11 over par, and nobody really 
doing anything else that had played in that first tournament in London. Uh, not helped again, I think, by comments from Gray McDowell, who uh, maybe was having a few cold beers on Saturday night, uh, but decided to uh, start responding uh, to a lot of tweets when he was being asked uh, about Live Golf and uh, what's going on there. And he uh, basically implied that, oh, listen, this is, a, this is a smear campaign. Once we get through the smear campaign, all of this will just be fine, which is a, another remarkable doubling down from Gray McDowell. Uh, I cannot believe how he has ended up positioning himself as the voice and as the face of Live Golf and Saudi Arabian investment in golf. But he is all in, all in on this. Uh, so uh, another interesting part was when he was sort of referring to it's only going to get bigger and stronger, and it is. And while Live uh, Golf may well be in the red right now, I think the high of the last couple of weeks of golf with McElroy, the Canadian Open, of Fitzpatrick last night at the US Open, I don't think it'll bother Live Golf too much because all the rumours are that over the next two weeks we're going to have basically a day-by-day drip feed of superstars moving to the Live Golf Tour. Uh, Abraham Anser, uh, the Mexican player who is a top 30 in the world player, uh, due to be announced today that he's going, there's a huge amount of speculation around Colin Marikawa. Now, it seems to be based off one interview where he was somewhat non-committal, but it was done on the week of the US Open, and it may well have been just more, I don't want to be distracted by this sort of thing right now. Uh, but there's a lot more players going to end up playing in the first tournament in Portland, Oregon, uh, the week after next. And we could end up with somewhere 18 of the world's top 50. And then you have a proper divide in golf and you don't get many tournaments uh, like you got at the U.S. Open. So on the course, I think a bad week for Live Golf. And right now, when they're playing a very shortened schedule of, what, eight tournaments, I think that'll change as they get more players. I think they, you know, they have the funds to extend this to 14, 20 tournaments, whatever they need. Uh, but are these golfers, you know, are they going to be coming into these events in peak condition if they're not playing against the best players in the world. But what Liv Golf will say is, well, we're going to have the very best players in the world soon. Uh, Dublin's Fair City has been in touch to say, since golf has gone behind the Sky Paywall, I'm sure many people have lost all interest in the game. So does, like, taking that point into account is kind of like um, the floating voter view of golf and I guess the, the, the fact that there may not be a, a whole pile of people who can still be attracted to the game does what happened at the weekend change your perception of how successful if golf would be does it like recapture the soul of, of those people who are who are kind of on the fence about uh, golf in all its forms thinking that you know we can get entertainment week in week out on a Sunday night when we have players of Fitzpatrick's quality and Zalatoris's quality going toe to toe I think maybe we underestimate how good golf can be at the top professional level and quickly forget about the drama that it brings you on a on a Sunday night. But I don't think what happened last night will make any difference to the Live Golf Tour and their plans and how it will develop. Like, everybody was on this massive high last Sunday night when McElroy won the Canadian Open against Justin Thomas and Tony Finau. The PGA Tour couldn't have dreamt it up and then McElroy makes a smart remark about Greg Norman. And then this week you back it up with a great US Open. We don't know what's going to happen with the Live Tour and the majors. Will they be allowed back in next year? Will they come to some sort of a compromise? Who knows? But like the Live Golf Tour, they aren't working on emotion here. They're working on hard numbers, and the numbers are just getting bigger and bigger for the best players in the world. So if you are losing an Abraham answer, if you're losing 
even the likes of Adam Scott, of a, well, Bryson DeChambeau is gone now. Patrick Reed is gone. Uh, you know, Brooks Kepka's brother's already playing there. Is Brooks Kepka got a loyalty to the PGA Tour? Brooks Kepka has been one of those who always uh, wanted to play less golf and never had any great interest in the run-of-the-mill golf tournament. So while the PGA Tour is absolutely winning on the emotional stakes, in cold, hard cash, they cannot compete with Liv. Yeah, for sure. We'll come back to the golf in just a moment because uh, in the amber is Rory McIlroy. Just one other thing in the red this morning are the cork hurlers. Uh, the angle on this, I guess, is the fact that they, they were beaten on. Well, they, they definitely did lose a game of hurling on Saturday. You think that it's uh, it's all doom and gloom for Cork? Maybe not in the long term, but it does feel as though it's the end of the Kieran Kingston era. He was non-committal after the match. Uh, it was a game they never really looked like winning. They missed a huge amount of chances in the first half. It was a 12 wides in the first half. Uh, how was Pat Horgan not on the pitch? whatever about form anything else you're just thinking an All-Ireland quarter-final uh, what he gives you from the place ball at the very least uh, if he was on one leg you'd have him out there just because you know he's going to be so consistent and you know he's brought on at half-time which seems like an admission that they got this wrong but I could not believe it when I saw that Cork starting 15 and he wasn't in there and there seemed to be a few questionable selection decisions obviously after the round robin there was you know it looked like they were dead and buried at one stage in the round robin and we were talking on this show about Kieran Kingston's last game in charge uh, but yeah I think it, they sort of went out with a bit of a whimper going never fully pulled clear so always sort of kept them in it but it just didn't look as though Cork were going to win this what are we 2005 heading towards 20 years uh, or 19, 19, 2005, sorry, uh, so heading towards 20 years uh, since Cork last won a, a hurling All-Ireland. Um, I think that gets them in the, in the red, doesn't it? Ah, uh, yeah, no, it, it absolutely does. Like, it, it's just, there's always kind of this, this expectation of Cork, which feels, or it has felt in the past, as if it's like beyond what they should be achieving. You know, that this idea that Cork have have a right to be, not a right, but an expectation to be in the winner's enclosure or close to it almost every single year. I guess we're reaching a point soon where that expectation is absolutely fair enough. When you look at some of the underage success they've had over the last couple of years, you'd have to think now, next year, the year after, that if they're not like one of, one of the top two teams in the country, then there will be questions asked about about that um talent line and converting underage success into top tier success. Well, it's not easy. Like that, is, that has been a challenge for many teams in many different codes through the years. It feels as though they also need a philosophy change that like, their scene has been soft. Like, all of the previews that I've heard were, well if Galway come with a physicality, Cork just won't be able to deal with them. And that's not how you want to be going into championship matches. That they need, they need to be able to play a running game, a free-flowing sort of game. And like, that's not going to get you to be one of the top two teams in the country. Like Limerick have both. Like they can play whatever way they want, and nobody is ever going to match them in the physicality stakes. So, you know, to be beaten in an All Ireland quarter final to go from that uh, to suddenly becoming one of the top two teams of the country it feels like quite a jump. It'll be interesting to see what they do next, uh, who they look for. Do they stay internal? I know a lot of people feel that uh, Eddie Brennan, who's coming up, uh, maybe should be a contender and they should look outside. It doesn't feel as though that's going to happen. Maybe Pat Ryan gets it. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be a, an interesting winter, no doubt, in Cork. Yeah, like uh, one of the 
you talk about the physicality, like one of the, one of the kind of defining images of Saturday is, I mean, Burke's shoulder. Uh, like, I mean, there's some disagreement as to whether or not it was shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to helmet. There was no real intent, but that for me, when I saw it, I was like, oh Jesus, that's like that Galway full back line showing to Cork what they can do, and they'll probably do that in the, in the next round as well. They're probably going to be more physical than most of the people they come up against, and then also you've got that Connor Whelan goal where he manages to just get inside his man, hold him off back of the net there's a real physicality about Galway which is going to be commended and will probably give them a chance against Limerick and like I think a couple of years ago when we were talking about the teams who were best placed to topple Limerick, I think a lot of people still would have had Galway in there because of the, the players that they have and Cork probably just aren't at that level the thing is not a whole pile of things would have needed to go different for them in, this, in the first half in particular for them to be in a commanding position in that game and like in isolation, Saturday will be a, like a, a really, really hard one to take for Cork. It's just how deep the questions will actually go over the next little while as to where the problems are for Cork. Because I think it does come back to this idea that Cork, or the, the feeling is that they, they should be um, cl- close to the top two every single year. Uh, on the other side of things, like I mean, they were both poor enough hurling quarterfinals, I think it's fair to say. But both second halves, I thought anyway, absolutely lit up. And the Clare game was just incredible. Like, I think there was a, a real sense of caution. Like, I was chatting to Mick in the office on, on Friday about everybody talking Clare up ahead of this game against Wexford at the weekend. And when you start talking them up and you look at Wexford, I guess, coming in on the back of a win, Clare coming in on the back of a, an extra time defeat, a heartbreaking defeat, there was always a chance that they could have got caught a little bit flat-footed. And it so nearly happened. And I just can't make my mind up as to what the narrative is going to be. What will the, the truth around Clare B when we get to the All-Ireland semi-final weekend will it be that you know Wexford almost beat them and Wexford wouldn't be considered one of the All-Ireland favourites therefore Clare cannot be considered one of the All-Ireland favourites or is it that Clare were really bad for a lot of the game and still won in a classic second half All-Ireland hurling quarter-final and therefore will absolutely get to a higher level against Kilkenny potentially knock them out and potentially make it to an All-Ireland final one of those two things is not true and it's very, very hard to put your finger on what, what the case is with uh, Clare at the moment. You would have to say, though, that Tony Kelly can't play so bad for 70 minutes again. I know he was brilliant for the last quarter, but for the mm. uh, first half of hurling, he, he won't be as bad again. You can definitely point to some of the substitutes they brought on, Aaron Shanahan, Shane Meehan, to live wire forwards that'll uh, inject Kilkenny with plenty of worry deep in the second half, regardless of how that game is going. And personally, if I had to guess, if I had to take a stab in the dark, I would lean towards the Clare team that played against Limerick a couple of times, the Clare team that did finish second in Munster, the team that some people think are, is the second best team in Munster. And I think that's going to be a hell of a semi-final. It, that old cliche of semi-finals are there to be won uh, felt like that with quarter-finals. It didn't look like it was about performance, really, for any of the four teams. It was just about somehow scrapping away through to an All-Ireland semi-final, having a little bit of break, regather yourself. I was still surprised by just how poor Clare were at times. Uh, we had James O'Connor on the show on Thursday night, and you know he sort of predicted exactly what was going to happen. And I was surprised by the sort of doom and gloom and negativity that surrounded Clare, because... Yes, there was a heartbreaking element, absolutely, to the manner of the Munster final defeat. But I thought that they got so close to one of the all-time great teams. The confidence that they would take from that and should take from that would actually mean it was a, a quick enough recovery. And they would think, you know, we want, we want Limerick again. We want to fe- face them in All-Ireland final because we know we're not that far off them. But it did seem that maybe mentally they were somewhat crushed by the Munster final defeat and really struggled to get back up. Uh, but... You know, when it really mattered, uh, they came through. 
they absolutely came through and now they do have a, a good time to regroup and it's a long time since they played Kilkenny uh, in a championship clash but I think on what we've seen from the two so far this year you would have Clare as favourites going into that semi-final If Limerick win the other semi-final I'm pretty happy with whoever comes through the other one because I, I want to see Clare against Limerick again I think that that'll be we, we know that that'll be a good All-Ireland hurling final because of what they've already shown this year but I also want to see Limerick against Kilkenny again and I know I think the neutral observer out there is probably more drawn to Clare. I'm not sure if I'm right in that, but I kind of like feel that they're uh, a more neutrally attractive team because so many people have seen Kilkenny win so many All-Irelands down through the years. But I actually wonder if, if Kilkenny in that final could be just as good a prospect as, as Clare versus Limerick because, like, I mean, we go back to 2019, the last time Limerick were beaten, it was Kilkenny who undid them. It was Brian Cody who did a job on Limerick that day. And I just wonder, could he do something similar to them again? And it'll be very, very, very interesting to see how Limerick prepare for Brian Cody again in a knockout championship game. Of course, we're completely riding Galway out of the picture there and, and Henry Shefflin, but I think that's probably the least likely of the two scenarios to happen for an underdog to win is, is Galway knocking Limerick out. Mm. Yeah, and listen, if Limerick are beaten at any stage this season, it's going to be an enormous shock, it feels, at this stage. Uh, but a Kilkenny-Galway final would obviously have its uh, massive attractions as well. Would there have ever been a bigger sideshow going into any All-Ireland final uh, <laughs> than Cody and Shefflin? Uh, if somehow they were to end up meeting, uh, I, I think it's highly unlikely, highly unlikely to happen. Uh, yeah, I still think I'd, li- I'd like to see Clare uh, back in the final uh, against Limerick. I just was so impressed with them in that Munster final. I, I kind of thought that you know, Limerick were, were cruising through Munster and that there wasn't a huge amount to read into the first game, but they backed it up and you know, a Tony Kelly in an All-Ireland final with a chance to put in one of the all-time great performances and take down this Limerick side would be pretty appetising. Uh, Dennis Ryan has been in touch to say the standard of goalkeeping in Thurless, Limerick will canter to three in a row. That is definitely an outcome that is realistic, that, that Limerick do canter through the last two games, but we're hoping that they're going to get two wars before they actually have to, to lift three in a row and the standard of goalkeeping is definitely poor and Saturday that might have been in the red Richard Redball says Wexford Hurling should be in both <laughs> the red sections uh, as he's obviously uh, pointed towards more of a, a Wexford collapse than a Clare comeback it seems on Saturday and Dublin's Fair City has been back in touch to say Tip versus Galway Minor yesterday was the best entertainment on offer I've seen Shane Brophy I think it was saying that it was one of the best minor games he's ever seen uh, Comco Productions meanwhile says Rory wasn't close all through day 3 and day 4 too many mistakes but he will definitely win another major and that brings us nicely onto the Amber Nathan Yeah I think uh, Amber sums up perfectly where Rory McIlroy is there was uh, an awful lot to like about his performance over the weekend but ultimately, it's another major gone that he didn't win when he is in red-hot form. And his attitude seemed to be as good as it's been over the last eight years. And he put himself in a brilliant position heading into the weekend, uh, putting as well as he's ever put it. Uh, his wedge play has massively improved over the past few months. But ultimately, his driving let him down over the weekend. And not just over the weekend. He was constantly scrapping, even on the first couple of days. He was just holding so many putts. It meant that there wasn't as much of a premium on his driving. But you felt if he was to contend over the weekend, he would have to improve off the tee. And his miss left cost him again and again and again, uh, right from the opening tee shot on the third round. And because of that, he just wasn't really a factor. We thought if he sorted that out, that he was putting so well. But all of his putts, and so many of his putts, were for par. Even even going back to Friday and the near calamity when he had the double bogey. like He holds this monster putt for double bogey at that stage. He just wasn't giving himself enough birdie opportunities. And you know the mental strain that that must 
put on you where hole after hole you're having a 15 20 footer uh, for par uh, that's difficult to sustain and you know quite simply he couldn't he couldn't drive it as badly and as poorly as he did yesterday and really get himself into contention but i just think there's been such a, a change in his attitude and his his outlook at fields over the past few weeks he really does seem to be relishing being uh, the the guy leading the, the good side of golf right now and uh, being that leader and has taken that in his shoulders and I think it suits him being that player and having the elbows out and taking on Greg Norman and he's going to St Andrews where you know he has mixed emotions you think back to 2010 his one and only open championship appearance at St Andrews shoots 63 in the first round uh, gets these horrible weather conditions on the Friday afternoon ends up shooting 80 in the second round uh, costs him his chance at that uh, open championship doesn't play in 2015 has that accident when he was playing football. So he is going to St. Andrews, feeling he has a point to prove there. And if it's a it's a Lynx championship, it's an open championship, if the wind blows, it can you know become very difficult and a little bit of lottery. And again, you can end up on the wrong side of the draw. But if the conditions are calm, his driving won't be as big an issue. Like St. Andrews can be wide open in parts, so he can... You know, he can tone it down a little bit. Uh, he'll get away with his misses a little bit more. And if his wedge game and his putting is as good as it is right now in, what are we, less than a month's time, McElroy is going to have an unbelievable opportunity to win that Open Championship at St. Andrews. It seems like the safest money in golf now is to put it on Rory top 10 at a major. Just don't back him to win. This feels this feels different. And this, this entire year has felt differently. He's contended... In all three majors, he he felt like a factor in this tournament. It, it, it was a. I felt yesterday was was the first time he'd gone into the final round of a major, probably since 2014, where he didn't really need to shoot a low number to go and win it. That now it turned out uh, in hindsight because scoring was a bit better. You know, he shot he shot a 69 yesterday. He was he was under par yesterday, but he would have needed what well, he finished on 200. So he would have needed a 65 even to get into a playoff, which was probably never out there for him. But that it was going to be a bit of a scrap, and he was right there, and he just needed to hang tough and not let too many shots get away from him. But the three bogeys on the front nine meant he just had left himself with way way too much to do. But. Yeah, I don't think you can be overly critical of how McElroy played on an incredibly punishing golf course. Uh, you know, he stuck at it. Nobody can question you know, his B game, his ability to grind, that the head dropped, the shoulder slump. None of that was there over this weekend. He stuck at it right till the very end. And you know, I think if he sorts out his driving, like it's remarkable that we're saying if he sorts out his driving. For, like, for a decade, we thought Roy McElroy was the greatest driver we'd ever seen. Uh, but that just seems to be a little bit off. He just needs to find a way of getting it all to come together on the same week of a major championship and maybe St Andrews 150th Open Championship uh, hopefully for Rory that'll be the one Seamus Power T12 $359,000 I think is, is what somebody who finishes 12th gets for the US Open uh, it's not bad going and yeah Seamus Power 71, 70, 70, 70 uh, model of consistency over the four days and this is what he's doing now he is a regular in and around the top of leaderboard on PGA Tour events, week on week at major championships. It's such a life-changing 12 months for Seamus Power from a guy who, you know, it's fair to describe as a journeyman. That's what he was. He was scrapping for his card constantly, uh, you know, always in and around that 125th mark when you're going for your tour card for the next year and goes on a run of consistency uh, in the middle of the last summer, gets a victory out of it, secures his card. And there's some players, 
then they rest then they go finally I can relax a little bit and they sort of take their card and they find themselves right back at square one again 18 months later uh, Seamus Power has just kicked on the confidence that that has given them uh, the fact that he's not thinking about money he's not thinking about world ranking points every single week just seems to have enabled him to bring his game to a whole other level I haven't seen the world ranking uh, this morning but you know he must be in and around certainly heading for top 35, top 30 in the world. He's going to be back here next week. Uh, he's playing in the Irish Open, uh, so I'm sure he's going to have a huge crowd. Shane Lowry's going to be playing as well, nor Rory McIlroy at the Irish Open, but like Power, it's going to be such a different experience for Seamus Power. He hasn't played a huge amount of Irish Opens through the years because he's been based in America and you know he, he couldn't afford really to miss out on the tournament the week of the Irish Open. Like he is going to have a crowd. Only Shane Lowry will have a bigger crowd following him than Seamus Power next week, so it's going to be a very, very special homecoming for him. Shifty Lad has been in touch to say I want to see Galway versus Kilkenny in the final handshake gate would be a big narrative to that game he's also said morning lads really enjoyed the two games yesterday and on TV having the hill to the right look great as it didn't look as near empty because of the angle Matt Fitz was so good to love his caddy Billy Foster getting a a lot oh, of love, 40 the, years in the bag, he finally the, gets a major in. I say that the, the post-tournament uh, interviews, and they, I, I think they do mean something when they think back to say, Bryson DeChambeau winning and thanking his sponsors uh, as the first thing he did after winning a major championship. Like It's embarrassing. The bottle. And, uh, this, is not what you, this is not what you dream about. Uh, there were some great interviews with his family, and his dad was almost uh, happier for Billy Foster than he was for his own son yeah. because Billy Foster is caddied for some of the greatest players in the world from Seve Ballesteros to Lee Westwood uh, and never got that major championship and finally got it through Matt Fitzpatrick and there was there was a brilliant moment at the end where uh, Matt Fitzpatrick's brother Alex is a brilliant golfer as well top amateur turning pro uh, not quite I think at the level maybe of where Matt is but you know should go on and have a good career where he ran over and he basically gave Matt a tap on the back on the green when they ran on and he ran straight over to Will Zalatoris to commiserate with him they both went to college together I think they played college golf together but everything about it was just you know classy touches all around uh, from the Fitzpatrick family and it like the emotion of it was great uh, I, didn't, I didn't know didn't know there was a that side to, to Matt Fitzpatrick so yeah he looks like someone who's going to go and enjoy those celebrations Seamus Power is up from 41st in the world to 36. So um, I think it was the start of the year we were obviously talking quite a lot about him getting into the top 50 so he's really delivered on that and, and rocketed up the standings once again. So 36 in the world for Seamus Power after his uh, top 12 finish at the weekend level with John Ram at the end of play last night. Big disappointment actually of the week I think was, was John Ram. Uh, certainly of the final round. Like, remember, 18, he's got a one-shot lead when he's going down 18 on Saturday night and he, uh, you know, he's too ambitious out of the fairway bunker, hits the lip, comes back in, ends up taking double bogey. So Ram, you thought, shot back. You know, it, just such a great opportunity to go back-to-back at the US Open and nothing happened from it all yesterday. So you know, Seamus Power finishing on that. Like, Seamus Power's never played at the Open Championship. So he's going there next month to St Andrews as well. So it's... yeah. It's all good for Seamus Power right now. Let's circle back to what Shifty Lad was saying in the comments there. The Talton Cup, they made a better job of it in television, it felt, than the round four qualifiers the previous week. There was essentially the same amount of people in the ground, but it felt like more of an occasion yesterday. It, it felt there, like that's common sense. Way, like it's, a, it's a trick of the light in many ways, but I flicked on to the first match yesterday and was like, bloody hell, there's a big crowd at this. Uh, but what they simply did was they put pretty much everybody in the Hogan stand on the lower tier. That's all you could see for the vast majority of the TV coverage. Uh, and it felt as though probably having everybody together also created a better atmosphere 
than a week ago. And yesterday was a, a real success story for the Talchin Cup. Is 16,000 a big crowd? Is it not a big crowd when there's four teams uh, winning? I'm not, I'm not sure it is, but the quality of football... like. So often when we see these teams go to Crow Park, you know, a Westmead, they're playing against Dublin and the players don't get to express themselves at all. They have to set up with a game plan that's ultra defensive, that's just try and uh, you know, protect themselves. Yet they go out yesterday and the quality of points that they, that they kicked throughout, like they looked, you're looking at Westmead, which is probably what you want from the Talchin Cup, saying, hey, why are these guys in the Talchin Cup? Why are they in this scenario where they're in the Talchin Cup? Because there just seemed to be so much talent there. And the first game, the Cavan Sligo game, was one of the best games I've watched all year in Gaelic football. The attacking football, Cavan scored, almost scored a goal. It was a brilliant save from the keeper in the end, just before half time. It was the last play before half time where they went from one end of the pitch to the other, five, six passes. It, it would have been one of the goals of the season if it had gone in. And yeah, both games were real attacking football. Cavan uh, were you know, much the better side, but just before halftime, uh, Sligo had several goal chances. They hit the crossbar. There was a, a clearance off the line that if they got there, maybe it was a very different game. But this is what you want the Talchin Cup to be. Evenly matched sides where the skillful players, the attacking players, can do what they're meant to do. What I'm sure they do at club level all the time. Why they've got to this stage where they're playing inter-county, where they have this ridiculous talent and we rarely, rarely see it. Again, if you're, if you're Sligo, I know Cavan's a slightly different scenario where they've, you know, they've won a provincial title recently, but you know, how often do we see Sligo players on national TV playing with the freedom that they played with yesterday? Generally, if you see them at all, they're up against Mayo or Galway or Roscommon, where they know they're the underdog, where they might kick 10, 12 points at most during a game. Like for them, it must mm. be just such a game-changer to have matches like this yeah and even when it's when you've got those gems of players and those weaker teams when they're getting hammers you just don't pay any attention to them and like I think a lot of people have been very familiar with the Cavan team as a result of what happened in 2020 but I think yesterday was a, a bit of a, an exhibition for, for Sligo and, and to a lesser degree maybe it's some, some of the, the players playing in the, in the second um, match as well it's not what it's about they want to get a trophy I think Westmead beating Cavan in the, the final will be a, a bit of an upset as well but it should be should be a cracker of a game just very finally then the last in our performance rankings this morning is uh, Dundalk, who have uh, turned this thing on its head to a certain degree, but there's going to be no runaway uh, title winner in the, the League of Ireland Premier Division just yet anyway. Uh, no. Uh, so we had a clash of the top two on Friday night at Oriel Park. Uh, Shamrock Rovers, who went into the game with an eight-point lead over Dundalk. So Rovers win that game. They're 11 points clear at the top, and the title race is pretty much done at a perfect time for Shamrock Rovers because they're starting the European campaign in the next fortnight. They're going to have matches week on week, it seems. So you think they can suddenly rotate their squad whatever way they want. Uh, Dundalk get the victory. Robbie Benson, sensational goal. Cross from McCarry. Lou McCarry's grandson playing for Dundalk had this brilliant cross on the right-hand side. Robbie Benson smashes it in with a volley and suddenly Dundalk are five points back with a game in hand and they are the team with all the momentum. Shamrock Rovers have lost four times in their opening 20 games. They've lost their last two away matches, both of them up in loud against Dundalk and Drogheda and now they've this very cramped fixture list as well whereas Dundalk have won their last five matches. I think they've 22 points out of the last 24 since they were beaten by Shamrock Rovers in Tala. And I remember that night looking at Dundalk and thinking, you know, it's Stephen O'Donnell's first year in charge. There's clearly some signs uh, that they're making progress, but they're a long way away. Like next season, the season after, maybe then they can compete with Shamrock Rovers. 
but Dundalk don't have European football and can rest players and they have momentum. Rovers have Bohemians, which is obviously you know, one of the biggest games of the season at what's going to be a sold-out Tala on Friday night. Dundalk, over the next four or five games, the fixture list certainly looks quite tempting for them. And you know, as, as good as it is to have a great team in the League of Ireland, such as Shamrock Rovers, like the best thing for the league and promotion of the league is a title race. And you know, it's not that long ago, but since Dundalk and Shamrock Rovers, there was a proper old rivalry there. So if Dundalk can maintain this... I think for the league in general, it's a good thing. Uh, but five points behind, you know, still a bit of a gap for Shamrock Rovers. Yeah, and uh, Derry City, of course, drew a draw to United on Friday as well to lose a little bit of pace. Yeah, Derry collapsed pretty much over the last uh, six, seven weeks. For sure. So they're away to UCD on Friday. It's Rovers against Bowes, as you mentioned, on Friday. And Dundalk are away to Shells. So, um, yeah, Dundalk in the green this morning. And that concludes this morning's Gillette Labs performance rankings. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. All right, just to tell you that you can join us at the Silken Thomas in Kildare Town tomorrow night from uh, June 21st as we'll be looking ahead to the Dubai duty-free Irish Derby Festival at the Curra Racecourse. We're going to be chatting to Irish Derby legends Michael Canan, Johnny Murta and Shamie Heffernan for an in-depth Irish Derby discussion and analysis and what it takes from horse to jockey to win the iconic race. You can see otbsports.com and our social channels to register. Now, after the break, we're going to be chatting to Eddie Brennan about the weekend's hurling quarterfinals. Before that, though, here's Clare boss Brian Lohan speaking about his side's dramatic late rally to overcome Wexford in those quarters. See you in a few. You know, it's great to come out on the right side of, a, of, of, of the... Of of the result, you know, to um, to get the win. Um, I suppose two weeks ago we were here and we didn't get the win. Um, so, um, yeah, there's a, a bit of relief there and um, um, a certain amount of satisfaction that um, when it was really put up to us that, that our lads played so well. It was it was not exactly the perfect mix for preparation, was it? Yeah, look, I suppose it just was what it, what it, what it was. You just have to get on with it. Um, the... Um, um, the boys were suspended and then they weren't suspended so you know it was it was a downer obviously that they were suspended and then a bit of a boost when um, they were cleared to play and um, sure look it was I suppose it was it was it was a different kind of uh, game for us to prepare for. We were we were favoured to win it, which was uh, different for us, um, and probably didn't handle that as well as we could have, um, and didn't play well at all in the first half. Now back to the actual game itself. Um, it was I'm going to say the bench that won it for you, but they contributed when they all came on, especially Aaron Channer who got one two towards the end, and Tony Kelly obviously kind of got into it even more scored three points from play at half or in the second half Shane O'Donnell did what Shane O'Donnell has been doing all year yeah look the, um, um, tremendous uh, performances for, from, from, from the lads that came in but it has been coming a bit because you know they've been itching to, to, to get on and they just haven't been able to get on because fellas have been playing well um, so delighted for them they're working as hard as everyone else um, and uh, they got the opportunity when you know we were up against it um, and um, in fairness to them they did the business and now you're going to Crow Park and facing Kilkenny yeah it's, you know another big challenge um, but something that we're really looking forward to we haven't been there in a while and um, we will uh, we'll see how it goes you've been part of some great banner summaries as a player what's it like as a manager yeah well look uh, you know um Anyone that's inside the dressing room, you know, they want to represent their county as as well as they possibly can. And, you know, the best place to represent your county is above in Crow Park. That's where everyone wants to be. OTB AM.
You're very welcome back. It is a quarter past eight. You're with us here on OTBAM. It was All-Ireland hurling quarter final day at Semple Stadium on Saturday. It finished Clare 124, Wexford 314 and Galway 219, Cork 121. So it's going to be Galway against Limerick in one semi-final, Clare against Kilkenny in the other semi-final in a couple of weeks' time. Delighted to welcome Kilkenny legend Eddie Brennan back to the show. Eddie, how are you getting on? Not too bad at all, Owen. How's the form? You well? Yeah, very well. Uh, let's start with that Clare versus Wexford game. And I guess we can break this into two parts. The part where Clare looked mediocre, tired, I don't know how you want to describe it, and the part where they were absolutely sensational. So those first 57 minutes where they essentially lose those first 57 minutes by six points. Why do you think that happened? I suppose they had a lot going on. The last fortnight, there was obviously the psychological hangover that was coming from losing a Munster final. And, you know, there was obviously a little bit of off-field stuff which was out of control to a degree. But um, that can that can just take the energy of the group a little bit. And when you combine all that with, you know, we have to give Wexford credit here. They came with a plan. They got their matchups right. I think there was so much they got right on the day. And, you know, it was, it was possibly the fact that at some stage, you know, Clare were never going to give up. I think that's one trait that is in this Clare team under Brian Lowen. Um, they struggled yesterday for large periods, but they just kept at it. And then, you know, and that's the mark of a good team that when the opportunities arise coming down the straight and, and they kind of have a little bit of a gap to go for, they went for it because, um, you know, and, and, and Wexford were game. I think they were absolutely brilliant. You know, maybe a, a decision, you know, for there was a potential for a, a, a penalty there. It could have swung the game. Wexford looked as if they were coming at, you know, they were, they were in a commanding position, but, um, Ultimately, like a loss of someone like Rory O'Connor is a big, big loss to someone like Wexford because uh, you need ha- all hands on deck. And I think even Dara said it himself afterwards. You know, they went right down into their squad because uh, it was it was a high octane match. There was there was a lot of uh, a lot of sore bodies, I'd imagine, afterwards. And just unfortunately, uh, they lost some of their key players who had done excellent jobs. And then you know you'd say the Shackens came off Tony Kelly and Shane O'Donnell towards the ends from the, 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 their markers and they suddenly came to life. When Brian Lohan looks back at the, the tape of those minutes where Claire struggled a little bit, when he looks at the O'Keefe as the sweeper with the, the, the man-marking job that, that Shane Wreck did on, on Tony Kelly, what can he take from those instances and, and how he could potentially free his Claire forwards up a little bit better in the semi-final? Yeah, they, they probably have to look at just being able to, to tweak their game you know, in the middle of a game, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, you know, it's it's to, to identify that straight away and and change it up. And look, it might be a little bit left field, but you know, do you do you dump Tony Kelly in on the edge of the square? You know, is that something that counteracts what the opposition are doing? You know, because uh, you know, you take even Devitt, you know, followed Ryan Taylor out the field and done a superb job on him. So sometimes um, we don't like to deviate. If you sit down and you make a plan. It's very difficult to to come away from that because of what the opposition are doing, and that's obviously the trick of of management and, and coaching. But it probably would be a brave thing to do. So it just has probably given Brian Lowen a little bit of food for toss. That you know, if someone you know even looking ahead, you know, is Mikey Butler potentially going to be the one to to tail you know Tony Kelly? So you just have to put an extra little bit of thought into that because generally Tony Kelly is well able to win his battles, you know, with, with guys he's marking, or he definitely can go to the 71st or 73rd minute. But um, yeah, it'll just have given Brian a little bit of food for top. But I think the overriding thing for Clare is it was a relief. I felt this was the dangerous match for them. I think they were going to get met with huge energy from Wexford. 
and now they have a clear run. You know, they've no distraction and they can just solely focus on the semi-final, which is what I think was his overriding feeling afterwards and almost relief. Would it be a concern for Brian Lohan then the job that Shane Reck did on Tony Kelly and the impact it seemed to have on Clare overall, not just on, on Tony Kelly and uh, the misfreeze from Tony Kelly, maybe mentally it got to him as well, he wasn't having things his own way, but quite often when we're talking about man-marking Tony Kelly as well, if you man-mark Tony Kelly, it's going to free up other areas and it'll give the likes of Shane O'Donnell a bit more space and Peter Duggan to drop deep and be more influential. That didn't seem to happen either. By stopping Tony Kelly, it, it almost seemed to curtail the entire Clare attacking performance. Yeah, they just. I, I think the presence of Dio O'Keefe and what Dio O'Keefe didn't try to do was he didn't try to be everywhere. I think he just shut down a flank. Uh, he shut down the the kind of two flank for a while, and then he maybe switched to the far side in the second half because I think he, he had a little fumble that was obviously costly for Shanahan's point. So they were basically allowing you know a player to have one side of the defence, and after that the men were touched tight. But um, I think what 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 probably helps you know is. Clare got such an injection off their bench. You know, Meehan came in, uh, Rogers came in, and sure, obviously Shanahan got one too. Like, and again, he's such a big abrasive fella. He's a handful. But yeah, Brian will definitely want to, to look at it from that point of view and say, look, how, how do we get Tony on the ball? Because obviously he's a key man. But I think the, the important point on there just said, they aren't a one-man band either. You know, I think Clare have a real strong squad. And I think that's probably the key to him. And I think that's what will have pleased Brian is that they were able to go to their bench and spring a few lads. But um, definitely, look, it'll be a different challenge the next day against Kilkenny. So, so that spell between obviously the 57 minutes and, and the, the full time whistle is what wins this for Clare. You've mentioned some of the impact subs that won six without reply in an eight minute spell, of course. I mean, you've got Shanahan contributing a huge amount to that. Did you see anything else? Did you see a tactical shift at all from, from either team that, that allowed the floodgates to open? Not really. I, I think it was just more energy levels. Like Dio Keefe going off, then you'd say, look, was was that significant? Uh, wreck was was you know I suppose to 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 take the pun really. He was wrecked at that stage. He just he had put in such a shift following Tony Kelly around. Um, but I think look, it, it's cruel to 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 mention these little bits and pieces. But I think if you look at the goalkeeping, even yesterday, you know, Ever Quilligan got away with a little bit of a mistake. You know, one, he didn't know whether to come and tack the ball and then it just, it, it floated through. But for Mark Fanning, you know, I, I'm certainly not going to criticise any goalkeepers because I, I I was fired out of the goal when I was 14 and that was the end of my career in goal. It's just horrible to play in goal and, and I have such respect for goalkeepers. But, you know, you drop one ball that, you know, you can have the best game of your life and, you know, Mark Fanning dropped two yesterday. The second one came at a big price. Um, and especially when you have guys like Aaron Shanner, he plays in around the square so much, and and, and it can be just so cruel. But um, and it was just literally a lapse in concentration. And I think you sometimes get that in championship matches. You sometimes get that when lads are tired and fatigue and everything, and and there's so much pressure on the line that just one little lapse, you know, in concentration. And we're talking about dropping off just two or three percent. I think Mark Fanning was probably going into mode of where am I going with this ball as soon as I catch it. And he just, you know, dropped it. And then he managed to scramble it because it almost got in. And then, you know, once it broke, it's just a lottery after that when there's bodies around the square. And that was a huge moment. Is that just a sense of occasion, Eddie, that got to a lot of those keepers at the weekends, you know, in, in a packed thoroughness knockout? And like, is, is that the, the commonality between all the instances? Or is, was this just a, a freak afternoon, do you think? 
it could be a bit of a freak afternoon that that they all seem to get a little dose of the the apes, you know, save Anna Murphy. But um, it's I don't know. It's, I, I think it's just coincidental, maybe. But you know, for them, the margins are so so thin for a goalkeeper. Like a, you know, even a cornerback can make a mistake and slip up once, or you know, midfielders can can miss a ball loads of times. But for goalkeepers, it's just such a a, a, a unique thing. They just they they. Just it's such a fine line for them, you know, the width of a post, the width of a hurl, you know, the ball deflects off somebody else, you know, they're the margins. And you can't legislate for that. You can't you can't plan for that. They're just one of these things that happen in a game of hurling where there's so many incidents that can have such an impact. And yeah, look, you can turn around and say, look, they're humans at the end of the day and a human error sometimes. And look, you wouldn't be harsh on them. They're just part and parcel of the game, and it just was part of the story for me yesterday. Was that there were you know mistakes with goalkeepers that that turned out to be costly. When you talk about uh, humans and human error, you could imagine I'd say a few of the extra people pointed towards the the human error that might have been made by the referee on on Saturday afternoon as well, and the the lack of a penalty and black card in that instant led on with Lee Chin. Uh, there was some talk in the Sunday game last night about referees trying to visualise a twenty five meter line from the sideline and and calls for a line to actually be painted on the pitch in future to try and help referees out. Uh, a was it the the wrong decision in your opinion, and and B should referees be getting that extra help that that extra line painted on the pitch come the next round yeah I just I just I thought you know Liam articulated the argument very very well and made the point so well but I find it bizarre that officials would be instructed to imagine or to guess roughly where that 25 you know bring it in 25 metres if that's the rule bring it in paint it in and that's it it's clear it's it's black and white as such in terms of the area you have to be in that takes out some of the guesswork for referees, which I just hate. You just don't ever go there with guesswork. But then, you know, the incident itself, I just think when a defender makes no attempt whatsoever to tackle a guy and just literally wrapped him up like he did, that is the reason it was brought in because um, he knows the consequences of, you know, maybe trying to go honest here and see can I hook or dispossess Lee Chin in that situation. He knows that he's the one at the disadvantage. So therefore, you have to reward the attacker. Uh, and again, look, we'll say there was, I felt there was a similar incident in the, in the Leinster final as well. And, you know, you'd be just questioning, have they just completely forgotten about the black book? Because I thought when people know, when defenders or any player knows, this is the consequences of my action and they roll the dice, then they can't have any arguments. And I think Wexford people are quite rightly grieved on that yesterday. And that's, look, I'm not trying to take away from, from, from Claire. Claire went and won that match when they had to. But at that point in time, it was it was a huge moment, and and I think definitely uh, I can understand where they're going with it. But I would just like if if you're going to put a rule in place, be as definitive or as as clear as you can with it. And I also, again, I will echo a point that I've made for a number of years: would it not be handy for the referee, for part of the wire, to have somebody there say, "Can you just check that for me? It'll only take thirty seconds." Did the defender make any form of an effort? And yes, there was two covering clear lads on the way back. But when Lee Chin got possession of that ball, he was in that zone and there was only one thing on his mind. And I think it was the wrong call in hindsight. I think Wexford probably should have had a penalty. Maybe I'm being biased to the forwards from my my old days. 
it's more it, it's more the greater issue of like referees yeah. have sort of been hung out to dry here. Like you, you wouldn't in any other sport say, well, you know, in football, uh, we're not going to put in a line for the penalty box. You can sort of figure it out yourself and guess yeah. and imagine. You you know, we all know where the eighteen yard box is. Like it's a very fine margin, and like these are huge games that you know the referee needs to know exactly how many meters something is because the difference between a penalty and a free is literally the difference between a place in an All-Ireland quarterfinal or an All-Ireland yeah. semi-final. Like the, having someone in the air, the referee, the VAR in hurling, like, yeah. like, of any sport, it feels like. <laughs> of any sport, it feels like you have 40 stoppages. Yeah, I, I know, I, I suppose I, I've heard that point made, but I just still think if, like, we're not going to be using it all the time, but I think if the referee wants an extra little bit of information or an extra bit of clarity on something like that, I mean, we're trying to support them. Like you said, they're, I agree wholeheartedly. They are, they're, the pressure on them is, is, is outrageous. Like, and, and again, you know, turn around and point the finger at them for a team costing the season. That's not right. And we don't want that. But I think the referees board or whoever it is should be trying to put in, you know, supports and be as clear and as definitive as they can on these things with the overall view of protecting referees and saying, listen, we want to take the heat out of them in relation to being a lonely figure having to make that call. And I think they're brave in that they'll they'll make those calls. But I do think if there's scope there for that capacity, just just to check it, if he wants to check it, because you could see Lee Chin making the argument with him afterwards. And I don't know what that conversation was. I'd only imagine he was probably saying to him, I was inside an, you know, inside an area. Do players even know there's a 25 meter area? I, you know, I don't know. So, um, but I think if, like you said, there, Owen, you have to be definitive. You have to be clear. There's no guesswork at all. And, and I just found it a very unusual thing that officials will be given that type of instruction. It just seems a little bit out there. Would the umpire on the left hand side not have had the best view of the whole thing? Yeah, he possibly should have been the one to, to maybe make that call or, or have those conversations. And look, we, we're, we're saying that now in hindsight. Um, I don't know. Um, and again, it just maybe you know, that teamwork that goes on between a ref and his officials. And it's even for, you know, for Podgewire to just take a second there and be able to go talk to, to his officials or whatever. I don't know. Uh, that would seem, you know, best practice. Um, but look, uh, in, in the heat of the moment there, um, you know, is one voice better than two? Is, is three heads better than one? You know, in, in terms of decision making there and maybe what they can feed in. But yes, you would imagine in ideally the, the umpire should be very proactive there and, and, and help the referee with that decision. Just to finish up on the Clare game, if I can get you to put your Kilkenny hat on for a moment, are you more <laughs> nervous that, that Clare actually won that game as opposed to, say, the I guess the, the muscle memory of, of playing Wexford in an All-Ireland semi-final? Yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure because I think Kilkenny in the last number of years have been struggling with Wexford. They, they, you know, and, and mm-hmm. this Wexford group are very uh, confident taking on Kilkenny. They, they enjoy taking on Kilkenny and they're not afraid of Kilkenny. So equally, I suppose one or the other wasn't uh, any better really but yeah I do I, I'd be nervous as a, as a Kilkenny person I think this, this is a big challenge because you know Clare have sole focus now on Kilkenny uh, Croke Park is a place that I think will definitely suit their, their their game I think they have guys that will relish the chance to run around Croke Park I think it was maybe 2018 when they had that epic semi-final against Galway you know Peter Duggan Tony Kelly and these guys so uh, they will look forward to this and I think they have a lot of young lads that will be chomping at the bit now and like they have a, like I said they have a clear runway now so 
I think they have they have guys that can hurt Kenny, but equally I think uh, you know th- these are the kind of matches that that a Brian Cody team you know any team prepared by Brian Cody and they love this occasion and I think it's 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 a glorious opportunity. Uh, Kilkenny won't fear Clare either. It's going to be Galway against Limerick in the other semi-final. Galway got the, the better of Cork in today's first game on Saturday. Cork with a load of regrets after that. The 12 wides by halftime is the, the really stark statistic. Uh, just to, to touch on Galway first before we get into to Cork. As a corner forward, looking at that Galway full back line, how horrific would they be to, to play against, first of all? Yeah, they're, they're, they're a good unit. Um, I, I'd probably take my chances on, on Grealish or Morrissey. I, I don't know what I like to go in wrestling with Dahi for, <laughs> for, for 70 minutes. Um, he's, he's a hardy root, so he is. And uh, he just, I, I, you just have to admire him. But I think as a unit, they're really good. Like Grealish went off out the fields, you know, tracking, you know, and, and I thought done really well, found himself in really good positions. Yeah, he had the long range goal, which was, you know, a little bit of a, a fluke, really. But he also found himself high up the field for opportunities there where he could have, you know, impacted the match even more. But, um, yeah, as a unit, I think they work so well. And it's obviously dependent on then where Parik Mannion sits in that. I thought Parik Mannion played really well yesterday. But that axis of Dahi Bork Mannion and even David Bork yesterday, I thought, was, was really important uh, for Galway. But they set the tone early, I think. While Cork probably will definitely rue the missed opportunities and kind of left Galway in that match, I still think Galway looked like they wanted it a little bit more. Um, I just thought their, I, I thought their body language, I thought even their endeavour, like they, they just scrapped for absolutely everything. And I just thought, you know, with the with the opportunities Cork missed, like even there was two, maybe even there was two guilt edged goal opportunities there in the first half that Fitzgibbon missed, Alan Connolly missed. And then, you know, you had Robbie O'Flynn coming through with a half one that you just have to be so cold and ruthless with those. And uh, they they come at a huge price for Cork today. It felt like with a couple of those goal opportunities as well, they gave the, the Galway keeper a, a decent chance to save them, even though they were obviously good saves uh, in all the occasions. Like, the, as I say, that, that 12 wides by half time at a, at a point then when they bring Patrick Horgan on is something that may sting a few Cork supporters. Like, I guess the two questions are, was half time too late to bring Patrick Horgan on? And I guess, should he have been in the team from the first place? Yeah, sure, look, <laughs> now it looks like it was an awful mistake, you mm. know, because we sit up this morning and that's just... Uh, you know, Kieran Kingston makes those decisions. That's what a manager does, and and he probably had good reason for that. But um, I still think, look, I, I, to be fair, look, Lee Han had been going well. I think he'd been hitting his freeze fairly well. But look, just my view would have been that look, I still think Patrick Horgan fully focused. And look, the the Cork management are the only ones that that know that they see him night in, night out. And while he has been exceptional over the last decade or more. I still think, you know, you, you judge a guy on how he's going and training and and that's obviously been the reason for that. But look, when you look at the freeze that were missed there yesterday, you, you definitely say that those freeze are ones that, that Hoggy would, would generally would generally nail. So um, was it a case of, you know, it was too late maybe when they brought him on? I don't think so. I still think Cork had ample opportunities. You know, even the two that broke down off the post. I mean, there was no Cork attacker you know, taking that chance. They were just a fraction slow to react, you know, to those chances. And those are, you know, opportunities that, you know, yeah, an inside forward has to hang around for and make a nuisance to yourself. And you look at the opposite, like with, with the likes of Conor Whelan, like he, he's just so dangerous and he's so game for a physical challenge as well. 
You mentioned in the Irish Independent this morning that Cork are catfishing their fans at the moment. <laughs> do, you, do you think the real Cork will stand up over the next little while? And and where will that get them? Like this generation of, of young hurlers that are coming through, my sense is that they are potential All-Ireland winners. Is that just because they're they're from Cork, I'm thinking that, and, and maybe I'm overrating them a little bit? Uh, no, I, I, I do. I think there's, there's, there's definitely a group of lads there. But I just think, look... <sighs> Desire to me seems to, is a big word. Like, and you say, how much do they really, really want it? You know, because I just thought yesterday, Galway looked like they wanted it a little bit more. And you'd say maybe they, they won it because of Cork's, you know, inability to convert their chances, but they still got over the line. And I think in Joyce, they have a brilliant centre back. I, I, I felt all year, I think it has been probably changed their season a little bit by putting them in there and putting Coleman on the wing. But I just think there's, there's probably not enough, still not enough steel. I think that, that area of, of being able to go in there and, and get hurt, I mean, they, they have all the skills in the world. And if you wanted to go watch an exhibition match in the morning, that's probably, you know, they, they have all the skills. There's some brilliant players there. But, you know, they just need a few guys to, they, they need to really get that the bit between their teeth. And I, I just, you know, uh, maybe I'm just living in the past a tiny bit here, but... I look at the car teams that we played against and by God, they had steel, you know, they had, a, they, they were able to get a job done and, and that's the trick. It's, it's, it's maybe it's a psychological thing, but I think in Joyce and guys like Robbie O'Flynn, Alan Connolly, I think they definitely have, you know, guys that are, that are well good enough. Uh, what I love about Joyce is he, he's for a nine, a, tw- a guy to show you of his 20th birthday. He is physically, you know, stuck into everything. He's able to catch high ball, which is again something that we don't really associate with our centre backs modern day. You know, he's he's really strong in the air and just does the simple things so well. But yeah, Cork have they've they've work to do, but they definitely have the ingredients there. But uh, like I said, there I think the, the defensive unit needs to still still the the full back position still presents a, a big challenge. That steeliness issue is probably key then for Cork progressing and whether it's a psychological thing or whether it's just a physical thing that they're simply not spending enough time in the gym and simply aren't getting to the level that Limerick are. And I know some of the conversations we've had on the show over the past six weeks about Cork is that they aren't at it physically, that they maybe just simply aren't putting the same effort in that some of the other counties are to bulk themselves up. Uh, if it is that, like that's just a new coach coming in, a new backroom team and sorting that out. And like if the skill level is there, like this and the underage success is there, like this is a pretty attractive job if Kieran Kingston does decide to go. Yeah, it is. It's a, it does. It holds huge appeal. And, and, and if, you know, hypothetically, if Kieran Kingston were to go, I don't know, like, I, I think maybe is Ben O'Connor the one that, that looks to be best positioned to step in there, Nate? And I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure it's just solely the physical conditioning. I mean, I think a lot of these are young guys. And, and last year in the all Ireland final, it definitely looked like physical conditioning, you know, went against them. But I also think it's mindset as much as anything else. Like, I mean, I think... Uh, you know, if you look at some of the, you know, over the years, like, you know, some of the best hurlers weren't the, the biggest, you know, um, it, it's it's not so much the size of the dog, really. It's it's the size of the fight, I think. And, and there's a bit of there's a bit of both there. But I just think, you know, in the example I, I looked at, you know, in, yesterday was, you know, a couple of times they worked the ball away from contact and they went over and back in front of the goal and then down the wing. And it looked lovely. I mean, if Mark Coleman had to put that ball over the bar, you're going, wow, that's that's an incredible score. But it still took, you know, energy, six or seven passes out from their own defence and then it went wide. 
and strafing the puck out, Galway, you know, hit David Bourke, they hit their forward and the ball was over the bar. And sometimes, look, I think there was an article done there last week on Cork's efficiency. You know, th- that's what probably ultimately bit him in the arse yesterday. Like, they just weren't efficient. They didn't convert and uh, they have to tidy that up. And I think that's that's mindset as much as anything else. Like, even Dara Fitzgibbon going in with that goal. Like, I mean, you expect someone of his calibre to just hang that ball up in the net. Like, I mean, he needed to take maybe another... And, and I'm talking hindsight and, and that's great. You know, I wasn't there at that moment in time. But I think when you get in on those opportunities and you're bearing down a goal inside the 14, that ball has to be put away from the goalkeeper. You just pl- place it along the ground or pass it into one of the corners. And, and he just made a, he made, a, I think, <laughs> Aina Murphy is possibly going to jump into the All-Star uh, driving seat with, with the saves yesterday. Uh, with Sarah O'Donovan on the show on Thursday night, a former All-Ireland winner with Cork. I'm having that moment where I can't remember what she said this on air or off air, so I'm going to screw her either way and say, you know what, we're going to put this out there. She said, I'd love to see Eddie Brennan uh, go in at Cork. What are the chances? <laughs> no, I'd say my, my only connection was I was born in Cork, Fado, Fado, and, and uh, well, so the passport. We- there was a little, yeah, yeah, but uh, no, I don't think I don't think I'd, I'd make questions at the moment now. <laughs> but um, yeah, look, Jesus, as a coach looking in from the outside, you would definitely say the raw materials are there. Um, and and I would have felt, look, someone I thought like Dermot O'Sullivan being in there, I thought here's a guy who knows how to anchor a defense and how to how to. And I'm not saying for a second. You know, did did he fail him or whatever else it is? But I just felt, you know, if if your young guys and you're in there as 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 Cork guys looking up to someone who who put it all on the line for Cork, you know, you'd surely be inspired by a guy like him. But I do think there's 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 good lads down there. Um, I think you know should Kieran Kingston step away? Um, I personally feel looking in from the outside that 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 Ben O'Connor has done a good bit of work coaching down there. You know, is it is it someone like his time to maybe? Married that because I thought he had that running, you know, skillful game, you know, himself and Jerry, that that kind of, you know, you recall how effective that was. But equally, Ben O'Connor was a tough competitor and he wasn't afraid to get stuck in either. So maybe, you know, maybe a fresh voice, maybe new ideas is is potentially what's what's needed down there now. But uh, I still think it was very brave of Kieran Kingston to go back in a second time. I think that's not an easy decision to make. Hypothetically speaking, what are the best jobs out there for a, a young Hurley manager <laughs> <laughs> you can ask Tommy this as well or a few others um, yeah it's look I, I I would always look at every setup. I think you look in from the outside and you just go is there guys in there you'd like to work with I mean you know you look at at, at what Limerick are doing at the moment Claire there's, there's so many attractive propositions I think to be fair, too, I, I equally think, you know, and, I, and I've spoke, spoken a bit tongue-in-cheek about even the Tipperary job. Like, I mean, I still think that if you're an aspiring Tipperary manager who believes you can do I think there's a good, there's a decent crew of lads to put a two- or three-year project together. So, um, but yeah, look, uh, that Cork group, I think there's a forward unit there. And I think, yeah, w- would you like to, would you like to think, we'd all like to think that you would do, you know, a really good job, but definitely the ingredients are there I think for from a forward perspective but I think Cork's issue is probably just consolidating the defence more so 
would I like to work with them? You, you would if I was from Cork. <laughs> you were born there. You, you, just, yeah. uh, you, you never said that when you were playing for Kilkenny, did you? <laughs> I'm not from Cork. I was born in Cork. Yeah, There's a difference. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, <laughs> passing through. we got to stop doing this on the Monday morning. We were trying to get Anthony Moyles the me job last week. We are doing ourselves out of our best pundits. That's it, yeah. We're, uh, <laughs> we are agents. I don't fall into that category, lads. Um, very quickly, Eddie, who's going to be playing in the All-Ireland Hurling Final this year? Um, I said kind of after the Munster final I wouldn't be shocked if we get a repeat of that and, and I won't be either but I still think um, I still think look I, I maybe being a, a small bit uh, biased here but I do think Kilkenny will, will, will prevail there I think they have a lot of work to do I think they have a lot of questions that need to be answered if they are to beat that Clare team they're going to have to pull out a hell of a performance Um but um, I think they will be facing whoever gets through there. It will be Limerick in the final. I, I, I think Galway will throw it down to them. Um, but I, I, I still think they, they probably haven't enough David Burks to go around. I think they have some good players. But like when you see someone like him, that is as and I rate him really, really highly. But he came in there yesterday, and I think you know with with five or six minutes to go, maybe he came off. But he, he I could see Henry checking with him. Was he okay to stay going? And I just think with with what Limerick bring in energy. I just think they mightn't have enough of him to go around and I think maybe for large periods they'll they'll keep it pucked out to him and I think with 15, 12, 15 minutes to go I would imagine Limerick, I'd expect Limerick to kick home and win by a couple of, you know, six, seven points but Hurland's a funny game, you just don't know um, but it's it's hard to see, you know, them, them stopping Limerick getting to that final. Uh, Eddie, uh, just before we, we let you go, um, just awful news over the weekend around Tyrone GEA and Damien Casey, who tragically passed away at the age of 29. Obviously, a, a name that a lot of people would have been very familiar with, despite not having seen a, a whole pile of him play. I mean, for somebody to kind of exceed in a county that's not one of the traditional powerhouses of hurling was was quite something. Um, just awful news over the weekend. Yeah, just shocking news. And again, I, I suppose my my own knowledge of it is just the story that has transpired over the weekend, which is just heartbreaking really, because, um, you know, for his family and his teammates, you know, from my reading of it, it would appear that he was a hugely popular guy, very well got in, in, in Tyrone hurling circles. And it's just a, an awful tragedy and your, and your thoughts will go out to his teammates, the community and, and his family. Eddie Brennan, great stuff this morning. Thanks million for being with us. No bother, lads. Take care. Uh, Eddie Brennan there on the line. Um, we are going to turn our attention to uh, sports news uh, right now, actually. And we have uh, Colin Milani in studio. Colin, how are you getting on? Hey, Expecting lads, a going? nice sports news sting. Colin should have his own sting. Yeah. Nice. Appreciate yeah. it. Uh, we, uh, it says on my doc, no sting. Uh, so if I just read what was in the screen in front of me, <laughs> I would have known that, but I didn't. Carl, how are you getting on? I'm all good. I'm all good. How are you? Were you up late, dual screening the golf as well last I night? I was watching some of the golf yesterday, yeah. Um... More frustration for McElroy, I guess. Just the soft bogeys that he made. I mean, when you look at the front nine, the two short par fours, he makes bogey on both of those. And then the 11th, the par three. I know these short holes can be tricky and finicky, but do the top players, when they're really in contention, bogey those sort of holes? I'm not sure. But he spoke afterwards. I was watching his press conference this morning that he, he feels like his game is in really good shape. So, you know, his two last two performances in major championships have been good, uh, generally speaking. So hopefully he can make the breakthrough at St. Andrews next month. His driving killed him uh, throughout Saturday, yeah. Sunday. Uh, the, the 
TV coverage was a, a big talking point on Golf Weekly yesterday, particularly on Saturday night, where uh, there were large periods of not seeing what was happening. But it also meant that you didn't really get a full sense of where McElroy was in trouble a lot of the time. You just saw the drive going yeah. left, and it was a big miss left that he had throughout the last couple of days. Uh, his recovery play, play was exceptional. His putting was exceptional, but... Yeah, listen, maybe because he was so good in the greens, it, it overshadows what put him out of the tournament. But I think like St. Andrews, he just must be licking his lips to get St. Andrews now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it should play right into his hands. But I guess a lot of the players will be licking their lips at St. Andrews too, which is the other thing. And if you look at the leaderboard last night, you know, a lot of the top players were, were in the top six or eight as well. So it's not going to be easy to break down that barrier again at St. Well, that, 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 that is the difficulty I think for Rory and the one thing that has changed I, 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 I'm not sure I go along with the Rory's best is better than everybody else's best right now mm. like, there's so many so many good quality solid players who can do what he can do who can bomb it a long way who can chip well who can put well uh, Like you look at that leaderboard it was absolutely stacked last night with some of the best players in the world and Fitzpatrick, Zalatoris, Scheffler, like Scheffler again, is having one of the great seasons yeah. that anyone has had since since Tiger Woods. So the problem for Rory going to St Andrews is while he is in good form, there's an awful lot of good players who'll also be looking at St Andrews, thinking like if that wind doesn't blow. Well, that's the other thing. If the wind does blow, it brings a lot of players into contention. I would think that might ordinarily be in contention and will rule out some players that might be in contention if the weather is reasonably calm. And McElroy, generally speaking, isn't quite a good wind player with a high ball flight that he's traditionally had so he'll need a bit of luck on the on the draw on the weather side of things but given that St Andrews is quite short he should have loads of opportunities and if he can keep the putter hot again um, he should be right in the mix but again I mean if he doesn't get over the line in St Andrews he's had a pretty a reasonably good year and he obviously won the Canadian Open but if he doesn't win a major is it a good year? Probably we, not. Well, that is the constant conundrum of Rory McIlroy. Like, mm. We do judge him to a higher standard, and I think we're right to judge him to a higher standard with what he achieved so early in his career. It'll be nine years then, and there's more quality players coming through. So it does feel as though it becomes more difficult with every passing major, and particularly when he's in good form. Yeah. Particularly, it, it feels as though he's going to St. Andrews with no, you know, there's no first round issues anymore. There's no final round issues. He's sort of played well at every part of a major now. There shouldn't be anything mentally there. It's yeah. just actually going yeah. and putting it all together. Yeah, and you mentioned the wider uh, picture as well. Like, if you look at Matt Fitzpatrick and the level of improvement that he has made in the last five years, it is just astronomical. And, in, like, he's added yardage, he's uh, tidied up all parts of his game and I don't I know he had a good amateur career obviously and had some big wins in his amateur career but I, the US amateur yeah they, they should have mentioned that, <laughs> but I don't think you would have picked him out uh, say when he broke onto the circuit I know he's had some big wins but as a major champion I'm not sure when you consider Poulter Westwood all of those guys uh, of a British persuasion that were in the mix for major titles at that time you wouldn't have picked him out from the pack so I think it's a really really good uh, win for the underdog as well and he's only 27 and he made a quite a brash comment that he wants to get to six major titles wow become the most uh, successful European yeah well that's where Rory should be like that's I always think that's he, he was never going to be Tiger Woods yeah. but Rory McIlroy on talent deserves to be the greatest European golfer of all time he should surpass Seve and Nick Faldo like when he got to four that quickly do you think he's more talented than Seve I I, I you know, I've seen all the highlights of Seve and he was obviously an absolute genius yeah. uh, in a different way and expressed it in a different way. Mm. But I think in terms of majors that, you know, Rory's consistency, 
like, I don't want a headline of failure, but like I think even I remember talking to Potter Carrington, he would have felt that you know McElroy should get to six, seven majors, and that should be his thing. That when yeah. we look back in fifty years' time, it's this guy was the greatest European, most successful European golfer of all time. There's obviously still a huge amount of time for him to do it, but I think that's where I'd like to see him. See him get to now. He'll probably go down. Twenty twenty two. He'll probably go down as the one that got away if he doesn't win a major this year, given how close he was. And in, in yeah, the Masters was a more typical Rory, where yeah. he comes charging on the final yeah. day, and obviously the hole out in eighteen uh, gives this uh, great moment. But he's had chances in the last two. This weekend, I think, will be a big regret because he didn't need to go and shoot sixty four, sixty four. No. He just needed to drive the ball a little bit better. Uh, Fitzpatrick's, uh, you know, he was sort of seen as someone who was maybe going to miss out on modern golf because he wasn't long off the tee, yeah. but he's had a huge improvement over the last year. He's added massive speed to his game. He was asked about it afterwards in the press conference, a little bit of a pop, I think, at a potentially Bryson where he was he was being compared to Bryson's uh, sort of improvement in ball speed. And he was like, yeah, no, no, and I've been drug testing and everything, so <laughs> yeah. it's all fine. <laughs> Yeah, he, he undertook some program, I think, or something. I'll have to read more about it. But he's, as you say, he's added speed. And the difference that that's made, I think, was 10 or 12 yards even is the difference of a club, which can be such a difference when you're playing into the green, especially in those small greens that were at Brookline as well. So, you know, you have to be delighted for him. And uh, for his caddy as well, Billy Foster, I, c- I couldn't believe that he hasn't won a major no. title already. And he was on the bag for Seve at one, mm. one stage. So it's hard to believe. And that was a big deal for Sky last night as well. He got a lot of coverage. He certainly did. Uh, Carl, where are we starting this morning in terms of sports news? Well, let's go to uh, the LPGA Tour because Leona Maguire actually uh, came very close to a title last night herself. That was at the Meyer Classic in Michigan. The Cavanagh forcing her way into a three-way playoff after a final round of 65 helped her on f- finish on 18 under par. But Jennifer Cupshaw won the playoff with a birdie on the sec- second extra hole. Maguire finishing in a tie for second along alongside uh, Nelly Corda. In Gaelic Games, Mead safely through to the quarter-final stage of the All-Ireland Ladies Senior Football Championship. They maintain their unbeaten start to this year's competition with a nine points apiece draw with Armagh yesterday. Mayo beat Cavan by a point to progress while Dublin are also through following a 1-11 to six points win over Tipperary. Elsewhere, Cork beat Donegal by 2-12 to 1-10 and Galway were 1-18 to four points winners over Westmeath. Westmeath and Cavan, meanwhile, will contest the first ever Talchin Cup final. Both counties came through the respective semi-final ties at Crow Park yesterday. Westmead beat Neighbours awfully by 3.22 to 2.16. Cavan getting the better of Sligo by 20 points to 1.14. The Republic of Ireland beat the Philippines 1-0 in their international friendly in Turkey yesterday. Debutant Lily Ag scoring the only goal of the game there in the first half. Europe House side now turning their attention uh, to next Monday's World Cup qualifier away to Georgia. In- I don't know if you uh, saw the game yesterday. It was live on YouTube. There was no commentary which meant uh, you could hear everything that was being said around the pitch and the Philippines coach, he's an Australian, he was the uh, Australian national team manager for a while and got sacked in uh, somewhat controversial circumstances though I think uh, he was proven right in the end and shouldn't have been got rid of. Uh, Philippines have already qualified for the World Cup. Bloody hell he was loud. (laughs) I think it was Serena who was the striker for the Philippines would have had a very, very a bad pain in her head afterward. He never stopped. It was they, so much so they had to turn down the volume halfway through because I, th- I think he was going to get himself in trouble. He was going mental about Ireland stealing a couple of metres on a throw-in at one stage. Real sarcastic. Uh, like One of these real old-school coaches. Like Never stop shouting. Voice gone by the end of the match. 
absolutely insane. But uh, it was a good performance from Ireland. Uh, Denise O'Sullivan didn't play. She's still playing uh, over in America because it's sort of out of the international break. I scored an unbelievable goal yesterday. Yes, Don't you saw this? Yeah. Check it out online. It was her first ever regular season goal for uh, the Courage. Uh, chested down, volleys from about 25 yards out. Uh, but it was a good win for Ireland yesterday. I thought Jessica Zoo was brilliant on the right-hand side. Maybe she might force a win. She's obviously gone over to, uh, over to England. And Lily Ag on her debut played really well in general uh, got the goal as well so uh, we'll have that game live here on Off the Ball it's a 5 o'clock kickoff so it'll be on sports radio uh, next Monday it's a game they'll win like they beat Georgia you think it's uh, guaranteed I was going to ask well if they don't listen like you know these players talk about the Ukraine defeat now Ukraine are a hell of a lot better than Georgia are if you don't beat Georgia even away from home and it's like it's a tough old trip it's I think two hours outside Tbilisi where Mm. they're playing the match but they've got everything they wanted. They've been in Turkey. They're going to be in Turkey for nearly two weeks in a training camp ahead of this game against Georgia, who they beat 11-0 last time. So if you don't beat Georgia, they'll only have themselves to blame for not qualifying because it's in their hands now after the draw against Sweden to get that playoff spot. Yeah, it's a huge summer for them, isn't it? A huge rest of the year for them. I think it's just on the brink of a huge explosion as well if they can get to the tournament. Well, September is massive. So they have the game um, against Sweden and the game against Finland. Like Finland at home, uh, I would expect is, you know, sorry, the game against, they play Finland at home and then they play Slovakia away, which could be a difficult one. Uh, But Finland at home, Atala, I think this time they need to get the full house of Tala for that and then you go into a playoff series which is uh, you know if you were confused by the Nations League own, you're going to get very confused about yeah. the playoffs oh, for the not confused World by Cup. League at all. Uh, there's one possibility where they end up going to Australia next February any tournament for a mini tournament yeah. with 12 teams basically scrapping out for three places yeah. and they won't know there's no way of knowing what where you're going to be in the playoff until basically every step of it's done because you're seated it's unbelievably confusing let's uh, hope it's a, a bridge day they don't let they, they cross and I guess go to Australia, fly home, go to Australia again next year. That would be the ideal scenario. So yeah. uh, Ireland against Georgia, that is one to keep an eye on over the next couple of days. It is uh, next Monday, isn't it? Five o'clock. We'll have live commentary on OTB Sports Radio. Anything else, Carl? Before we wrap up, uh, just informally, one the defending champion Max Verstappen has extended his lead in this year's Drivers' Championship. That's after winning the Canadian uh, Grand Prix. The Red Bull driver held off the challenge of second place Carlos Sainz of Ferrari to pick up his seventh win of the season, second in the championship. Charles Leclerc came from the back of the grid to finish fifth but he's now 49 points behind Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton finished in third to record his first podium finish since the opening race of the year. Carl Milani, great stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks, lads. Uh, it's 8.56 here with us here on OTBAM, which is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day and there were plenty of finals on over the course of the weekend. In rugby, Alan Quinlan was watching them all. Alan, how are you getting on? Good on yourself. Yeah, very well. Uh, let's just focus on the, the Super Rugby final and the URC final. Two very, very different games of rugby, I think it's fair to say, on Saturday. But the outpouring of emotion was, was similar at the end of both. And if we were worried at the, the start of the year about people caring about the URC or not caring enough about it, I think that question has been answered pretty uh, phenomenally over the last two weekends. Yeah, it has. I think, um, obviously... Um I'm not sure it was the best game to watch. Um, the Stormers against the Bulls, they're both trying to cancel each other out. The Bulls were, were, were so dominant, I think, um, early on, but couldn't score in that first half. And uh, complete turnaround, the, the Stormers in the second half were were brilliant. And um, I, I was just trying to think on, you know, is this good for the league? The two South African, te- two South African teams, the final and... Uh, 
it's um, well, the, the scenes the, the, the fans the crowd even though it wasn't a full stadium the colour that uh, those fans bring to the competition that, that element of it is unquestionably good isn't it yes yes absolutely I'm, I'm just asking the question what mm-hmm. would people be thinking because um, I think having South African teams in the URC the first year and two in the final and and the Stormers winning it um, of course it is it's brilliant to see um I think they'll, they'll only get better. I think look at the way they started the league, South Africans, they were coming straight from the Curry Cup, missing all their internationals. I think the challenge for everyone else is to, you know, step up. I think it makes the league way more competitive. Um, you know, going to South Africa is going to be, get more, even more difficult. I think um, they'll build on the back of this, the South African teams. And, um, and Alan appears to have frozen mid-sentence there what was he going to say next send in your text now yeah yeah, I was just going to ask him what the the concerns were around the the URC so uh, you have Blues against Crusaders in the Super Rugby final as well a few of the All Blacks on show ahead of the Ireland tour the Ireland team has flown out to New Zealand at this point so uh, are you on uh, flight radar tracking yeah just uh, making sure they, they get out of here safely it'll probably be next week before they touch down there so they're playing obviously the Maori All Blacks in a couple of games five game series so we'll have more on that as we build up to it next week Alan you are back with us you uh, broke up mid-sentence I was going to ask you there about some of the concerns you had about the URC because you said there a moment ago you were just un- unsure about what you saw in the final at the weekend so what, what's concerning you most about the future of this competition? Um, I just think it's uh, I have said this many times um, you know the Welsh team's not being competitive in it and I'm not having a go off of Welsh rugby, but I think that that's a concern that um, you know the the Ospreys, Scarlets, and, and and Cardiff weren't you know in the mix for the playoffs. I think um, it shows how strong the South Africans can be uh, with three of them in the playoffs. And I just think obviously winning it. Um, I think look, we've complained for years that the league wasn't competitive enough, particularly in the latter stages. And I think the you know, a lot of the English journalists give out about uh, probably the game management of Irish players and, and the few, the, the the amount of games they play when it comes to, to, to game management and stuff like that. I still think that's going to be the same going forward, particularly through the RFU player management, um, player welfare uh, process, that the way the Irish players are managed, that's not going to really change. But... Um, I think you know having having Welsh teams being more competitive, um, but look, you can't you can't you have to tip your hat to, to the South African teams, and I think it's brilliant. Um, it's it's up to the rest of the uh, the teams to try and be more competitive, deal with a different sort of game plan, physicality, traveling to South Africa, all that kind of stuff. But um, the Stormers were the only they, they lost the least amount of games in the league, so you you can't really argue that. They didn't deserve to be there. And obviously what the Bulls did to, to Leinster the week before uh, proved that they're they're going to be a hand, handful going forward. And I think the positive here for South African rugby is this this lots of young players um, have, have emerged in recent weeks and some of them being picked in the, the, the Springbok squad. Um, Evan Roos, player of the year in the URC, I think he's he was phenomenal. Um, I, I watched him right at the start of the season and I actually said to Ron Nogari, you should try and sign this guy for, for La Rochelle because he's he's a fantastic player and they have a lot of good young players coming through. But I think the occasion and the scenes that we saw at the weekend um, were brilliant. I know some pe- Irish people are saying, we're not going to tune in and we're not going to watch. And 
maybe didn't capture the attention here, but I thought it was a brilliant occasion. I think both sides probably kicked the ball way too much. Um, the Stormers kicked the ball 46 times from hand and, and the Bulls 41 times. So that was probably the frustrating part, um, just the amount of times that they, they kicked. Um, it seemed to be contestable kicks continuously, um, kicking the ball away. And uh, But, you know, Stormers were brilliant and uh, their attack game in the second half was much better than the Bulls. I know Jake White was 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 upset and disappointed with his side's game management but um, it was a great occasion and and uh, brilliant for South African rugby On Saturday morning then uh, Blues against Crusaders was on in the Super Rugby final Crusaders won another title the conditions weren't great so we didn't see a fully slick version of Scott Robertson performing his dance at the full time whistle but some uh, amazing offloads some brilliant rugby played throughout the game so in particular Quinny I'm, I'm interested in, in, in the All Blacks that impressed you who should we be looking out for uh, from I guess from a Blues and especially from a Crusaders perspective given what you saw on Saturday morning I think Richie Moonga was, was outstanding again for, for the Crusaders um, just his overall attack game and uh, just the thought of Probably Bowden Barrett and, and Richie Mwanga being in in the in 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 a side that will play Ireland on Saturday week um, is is incredible. Um, I think that uh, again it was it was a game that was it would it would cause you a, a send ripples down your spine the way the Crusaders played in 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 that first half they were they were brilliant um, the the pace. The accuracy, the passing, the the intensity that they brought, and that's something that Ireland are going to have to. I'm sure they'll be very, very aware uh, of that. Um, what's coming? I think there'll be an angry reaction from from New Zealand when they play Ireland in that first test. But I thought Richie Mwanga was incredible, and and that's the challenge for Ian Foster. Does he play the two of them, or does he leave one out? Does he play Barrett at fullback and Mwanga at ten? Um, Sam Whitelock looks like he may be out for the Irish tour. He played with a broken thumb, um, but Rico Ioanni again for 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 the Blues was brilliant at the weekend. Um, Akiri Ioanni, I should say, the back row, and um, they've so many options. Um, I, I I I think there's going to be a lot of young young players and some new guys come on the scene for the All Blacks, but it's kind of getting closer and closer. And just watching what the Crusaders did at the weekend. Um, I think that caused a little bit of concern for what may happen in, in a couple of weeks and the challenge that are, that's facing Ireland. One other uh, game I wanted to ask you about at the weekend, and I didn't expect to be talking about this, was uh, the Barbarians game. They beat England 52-21. Uh, Will Skelton was sent off and they led by only three points. There was a backheel conversion score that was Barbarians being Barbarians. We don't tend to read into this, but there's a headline here uh, from the, the Telegraph. England boss Jones called for, calls for calm after Barbarian humiliation. People, maybe it's just uh, Twitter people or people, like maybe just England fans who are getting carried away with this, but it does feel that this is a, a tough talking point, England getting beaten by the Barbarians. Does that speak to a wider malaise around the tenure of Eddie Jones at the moment or is this a non-event, a non-story in your view? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it wasn't a good result for them. Obviously, they, they had the, the Premiership finals on Leicester and Saracens, so the vast amount of, of his starters were, were playing in that final. They go to Australia for three tests, but um, there was still a lot of Seasoned internationals played on that English side. Um, I was just looking through the side who who start for England and Australia. Well, Tom Curry, Sam Underhill in the back row, um, 
Johnny May was on the wing. Um, Charlie Ewells was playing. Um, but I, I think to lose by that much against the Barbarians at home, because I played in the Barbarians before, I know how like you're literally thrown together. There's no pressure. Uh, the week is a, a, a bit of a celebration. Um, the training isn't too hard. And for Fabian Galtier to put the Barbarian side together, I know the vast majority of those players were, were French players and I'm sure he'll take some of them on, on, on their tour to Japan as well. But that would be really concerning for me. That um, I Look, it won't mean anything if, if Eddie Jones can, can get his side together and go to Australia and win the series there. But it's more kind of negative press that he's going to get and more pressure given the last two Six Nations where they finished and, and the results that England have had. So um, not hugely significant, but still, um, I think if this was Ireland uh, and they were in that situation, um, the press here would probably be really concerned and, and, and writing about that and, and there'd be a lot more pressure on, on the Irish coaches. So um, he's deflecting a little bit and probably will get a, get a pass here, but... I guess I Quinny he has the, he has the last cycle World Cup cycle as well where it felt as though England were in crisis and there were questions about his his time in charge probably at a, at a similar moment away from the World Cup and he still managed to get his team to perform is what he can fall back on. Yeah, probably I think and that's what that's what um, saved saved him during the you know from the, in the Six Nations there was a lot of pressure coming on given the, some of the results but they're not that I think they're. They're showing a lot of vulnerability. I think he's made a lot of changes and been chopping and changing his side for the last couple of seasons, Nathan. So um, I think he's, he's will he go for the tried and tested in Australia, guys on, on, on reputation or form? Um, I'm not sure, but I think if they were to go to Australia and, and lose a series, um, it just ramps up the pressure again. Will they make a decision and say, well, he won't go to the World Cup next year? I think it's probably too late in the day. I think he will go to the World Cup and um, you know, if you put down an English side on paper and um, at, uh, with everyone available, I think there'll still be a, a handful for anyone and be challengers for the World Cup. But there is a lot of pressure and that negativity kind of stay, shake, stays with you until you start getting some really big results. So I think for, for their own confidence and self-belief and for him, Eddie, for Eddie Jones to kind of dispel some of that negativity, he needs to do well in Australia. Um, with, with, with his team this summer. Just one last thing we wanted to touch on, Alan, before we wrapped up this morning is because we're in the off-season now, what Munster are going to do with these next few months. We've seen Leinster make a couple of acquisitions over the last little while and they've built, it seems, ahead of next season. What do you expect Munster to do in this off-season, if anything? Um, yeah, I'm not sure they're going to sign, be able to sign. They've signed, at the moment, Malachi Fekitoa, mm. Anton Frisch. And Chris Moore, a young a young hooker from Exeter, he played for Ireland club side a number of years ago. Um, he's an exciting prospect. We don't know much about him. I think the, the issues, obviously, they have is, and I don't want to be disrespectful to, to who's already in those positions in the front row area. Um, there's, there's not enough depth there. There's not enough strength in depth. And, and if you want to win trophies, and particularly in Europe as well, um, you need to try and find quality there and... and um, so there's a lot of talk of Oli Yeager played for the Crusaders at, at tight head in the weekend and um, there's continuous talk that maybe the Irish provinces will be looking to try and get him back um, 
I don't think he signed a new contract yet with the Crusaders. I, I think he was hoping to be in the All Black squad for the summer tour. Um, he's someone that Munster, I'm sure, would be aware of. Maybe they've spoken to him. I don't know. That's any speculation. But um, the other side of that, what they need to do is is get Kenyon Knox and Roman Salanoa up to speed and 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 hope that they're um, they make some more progress, dynamic progress to to you know strengthen the, the front row areas because they're two young players who we need to see more of. Um, Scott Buckley uh, is a very promising hooker. I think he needs to come through now and get more games as well and, and really challenge the other hookers there. If you were trying to sign, I think it's the obvious area that they're 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 under pressure in and that they, they need more depth in, but props are hard to come by for everyone. Um I think if you get RG Snyman back, that'll be an incredible boost from if the, he can stay fit and and they get they get a run of games from him throughout the season. Um they'll be pretty okay. Who knows what Malachi Fekitoa, uh, will he bring the consistency that's required? Um, he's a very, very talented player. Um, you know, Damien Dialende, his presence alone in that midfield was was really important for Munster. But I think the coaching, um, that's what everybody's talking about. You know, the attack game, can they develop their game more and, and play with pace and tempo that we, we've seen Leinster kind of set a standard for the last couple of seasons. So, Really, really important pre-season for them and uh, maybe they'll sign one or two players. I don't know yet. Alan, good stuff this morning. Thanks, Millie, for being with us. Cheers. Thanks, lads. Alan Quinlan there on the line. We'll have plenty more from Alan over the next little while as he makes the trip down to New Zealand. The first test, what is it, Saturday week at this point against the All Blacks. Uh, right, it is 11 minutes past nine. You're with us here on OTBAM, which is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what we've got on OTB Sports Radio over the course of the next few hours. OTB Gold is Brian O'Driscoll in conversation with Ethan Asewa. Splunk Sport from three o'clock. Classic Game Club is Dublin against Kerry 2001 from four o'clock. And then six o'clock is OTB Gold. Michael Owen on life after football. Off the ball live in your radio as ever with Joe and the gang from 7 o'clock. You can follow Off The Ball across all our social channels, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the OTB Sports app for the latest and best in sports content and analysis. We're going to be back after a quick break. Anthony Moyles was watching the Talton Cup semi-finals. OTB AM. 13 minutes past nine. You're very welcome back to OTB AM. Anthony Moyles has joined us in studio. Good morning, Anthony. Thanks for coming in. No bother, gents. So, Talton Cup semi-finals in Croke Park on television in a prime spot like you can't not be entertained by that right this is everything we've been asking for uh, yeah, absolutely um, and you know I think there was 16,500 people at it much the same as last weekend um, the games were excellent I have to mm. say you know the, the Cavan game was, was just end to end flat out um, you know loads of entertainment loads of great scores loads of mistakes loads of opportunities loads of goals loads of missed goals uh, I had a bit of every I'm delighted you know and I, I kind of look at the, the, the four teams and indeed the four managers um, and I was reading a good piece on Mickey Graham over the weekend about how they kind of came together um, and they said right you know after the disappointment of the defeat at Donegal they said right are we going to give this a lash and they all decided as a panel they were um, and 
you know, you can see it. You can see that they would they want to win it. Um, and all four teams that were there were were busting the gut to to get the win. So you know, it's 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 just brilliant to get those teams back into Crow Park. It's brilliant to have the lads have an opportunity to continue their season um, and get some silverware at the end of it. The first game was a cracker. It felt at the end this was the one that got away for for Sligo in particular. There were chances there in that second half for them to take this game. Yeah, there was. I I, I don't think really. I I always thought Cavan probably had enough. Um, I think a little bit more experience. Um, Garold McKiernan I thought was 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 excellent for them and really really good when when they needed him at certain times just to kind of get a score um, or influence the game. Uh, win a kick out or whatever it was. There was definitely were chances for Sligo. Like it, it, it kind of reminded me of the, the Sligo are starting to get that kind of swashbuckling style back again that they had when you know back in the day with O'Hara and guys like that, uh, Davy and fellas like that, where they they just would when they go on a roll they can really hurt you and especially up front they've got some really good forwards. Um, they could have had four or five goals. Uh, you know, I felt really sorry for them. But to be fair, there was some unbelievable last dish defense. Them, like Cavan, like fellas who didn't give it up, you know, went back and, you know, as from a defensive point of view, you're looking at it and saying that was really, really excellent. You know, they got their hands in, they got flicks away, they got blocks. Um, and as I say, they never gave it up, which showed the intensity and the desire of both teams to go ahead and win that game. Um, yeah, Sligo could be unlucky, but I just, I just thought Cavan just had enough to, 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 to pip them in the end, even if they had got a few goals. Games like that feel really important as well for the success of the competition from other counties looking on and whatever about the crowd was, you know, a decent crowd and they worked it well that they were all in the same stand and it seemed to build a bit of an atmosphere. But too often when we see players from these counties, it's almost in a negative light. They're playing very defensive football against a Division 1 side. They can't express themselves in any way. Like, you come away from watching that first game yesterday between Cavan and Sligo, you're like, these are some of the best footballers in the country. Like, they are exactly what they should be shown to be. They were able to show off their skill set we yeah. don't see enough of that. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. It's like the shackles. Like honestly, I, you know, I kind of I, I had to watch back the game because I didn't. I was I was on uh, Father's Day duties yesterday. I was in the middle of uh, uh, Jurassic World uh, yesterday. <laughs> Father's the other way around. You get to do what you want on Father's Day. I know. I know. Well, not quite. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I was in and out getting more and more popcorn every five minutes. Can we get more popcorn? Can we get more? So that's after your last Croke Park experience, I think maybe you made the decision. Yeah, to I think I did. Yeah, you got a popcorn yeah, exactly. problem in yeah, your house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did throw the opportunity. The, the, the old I threw up the the chance of going into Crow Park, but it was it was like not that place again. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just let it fester in their mind. They might forget about it in a year's time. But no, it's like I didn't I didn't expect to see what I kind of because I stayed away from the results, so I just wanted to watch it fresh. And literally from minute one, it was absolutely brilliant. And as you say, Nathan. There is a kind of an idea. I was laughing with Colm outside. I was saying, Cavan, you know, poor old Cavan, they don't deserve to be in Ulster because they play quite expansive <laughs> and go at you type football. And Mickey Graham, like, he's playing the type of football. There's loads of mistakes. It kind of reminds me, and I'm not just saying this, but, you know, like, when you were playing kind of in the mid 2000s there's a lot of kicking you know and there's a lot of and if it goes right it looks really brilliant but then sometimes it goes wrong the defender comes out in front but there's lads taking chances and taking risk all the time um, and they're trying to move the ball as fast and as quickly and as progressively as possible either by hand but mostly by foot um, fellas in the forward line who are willing to take on their men they're not looking to recycle the ball you know they're willing to have a go and yes they get dispossessed or they, they get blocked down or they kick sh- shots short um, 
Um, but it was absolutely like it was. It was. It was. I have to say, it was refreshing to see. You know, it really was refreshing. But to that's see. what that should be. Like if you if you were to compare it with soccer and the difference between the Premier League and the Championship, like they would always say in the Championship they're helter skelter games. Yeah. You can afford to give the ball away because they'll give the ball back to Correct. you again. Whereas yes. yeah. when you go up a level, if you give it away. Like if a Westmeath or a Cavan go up against, uh, you know, if they go up against Toronto, they're not getting that ball back. But yes. actually at this level, at their level, you can afford to do that because you will get it back. Yeah, and it's funny. And I think neither team, none of the four teams went out with that kind of, there was men behind the ball. Mm. You know, don't get me wrong. There was men behind the ball, but none of them got the ball and then dropped the level down as in, okay, we'll just slowly build it. Everyone just went, as I say, hell for leather. Like Spillane was just, like, the engine on that lad up and down the pitch, his driving runs was unbelievable yesterday and he dragged Sligo back into that game after they had a bit of a tricky start like they missed four or five six chances handy in the first 10 or 15 minutes you know bad shot selection um, it was kind of like nearly that they had to get their eye into Crow Park um, but then like look it's it's I think what 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 has to happen is a lot of these teams when they go in against the bigger teams have to cut their cloth to measure against them. So what they do is they end up setting up defensively, right? So they set up in a way that they either are in the game for the last ten or fifteen minutes, or that they don't get an absolute tank. And now you're never going to go into the game with that mentality, but you're going to go in and you're saying saying to the team, look, we're going to go in here ten minutes remaining that we're still in the game. So by virtue of doing that. They set up defensively, they train defensively, and then they look to counter. But yesterday they're going, okay, we're going in against a team who are on our level. So we're not going to do that. We're actually going to be, as you say, show who we are, show our ability, and go at them. um, And try to do all the things that we can do. Now, the argument is, is, should they do that anyway against the bigger teams? You know, and just say... You know, feck it, we're we're trying to develop our game. We come on here on a Monday morning, we all say they're naive and... Yeah, you probably you would, and you would, like, you know. But there's been teams. You look at say Westmead and Offaly. You know, teams have been getting hiding from Dublin for the last ten, twelve years. So really, does it make a difference? Uh, you know, so so when you go into those games, I just don't know. I think I think there's this there's this big question of, and it probably comes on management teams via county boards or supporters, which is where is the teams? What what is the team's journey? What's their identity? What does success look like for that team? And what the Talton Cup has afforded these teams is that that is success. That, you know, if they progress and they win that, it is success. So people can, you know, who be moaning this at the start of your, oh, it's an LB competition. It doesn't make a difference. It shows progress. Because if you go and you get hammered out the gate in Connacht or in Leinster and Ulster, whatever it is, by a far superior team, by playing a defensive setup, which is not really your natural setup, well, then you've learned nothing. And you haven't progressed during the year. You know, all the stuff you've been doing in training is getting ready for this game to say we're going to shut up shop. But you're actually looking going, you know what, those lads are actually good players. I wish we could actually play a bit more of an expansive game for them. But I have this game coming up. And if I do that, the supporters or the media or whoever, the county board will absolutely kill me for it. So fellas go for, well, let's protect. And they go for, the, as I say, the, maybe the, the less risky opportunity or the less risky uh, uh, way of playing. Whereas, you know what, I think you look at the management teams there involved. You look at you look at the fellas at what they're trying to do. They obviously have support from their county boards, and I would hope and I feel and I even see it. I was actually it's funny. I was driving in. I could even see some Cavan flags on the way in. So Cavan people in Dublin like supporting the 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 the, the, the Cavan team. But 
you know, it's important that they have a journey, that they have, as I say, what is success, and they, they try to get these key measures that they can tick off as they go. And what the Talent Cup for me has provided outside of the league is another competition where they can say, this is progress. You say that if a team sets up in such a way, they'll get slammed on a Monday morning here if they do it. Uh, we're awfully naive and should we be slamming them this morning for the way they approached uh, the, the Westmead game yesterday afternoon? We won't, we won't slam them. I, I think I think awfully where there was... Like, look, they lost their captain during the week with with, with a, a, a cruciate ligament injury, I believe, and then they had a, a virus in the camp uh, um, which was going around. And... They looked in that first half where that they were just completely devoid of energy. You know, they were they were falling off tackles, the the energy up and down the pitch. You know, for a number of the players, not all of them, but for a number of the players, four or five of the players was was just lacking. Um, I don't think Westmead were doing anything unbelievably brilliant, um, but I just think awfully we're we're pretty awful in that first half. Now, the start of the second half when they really went at them and they decided actually you know what we're going to go into a game here they got themselves a bit better uh, defensively set up because of the, the first half they were so wide open down the middle it was it was unbelievable and nearly Westmead ended up with one extra player in the, in their forward line which I was kind of going how, how can Offaly actually be affording this there was, it, it, was, it was just too easy for Westmead in the first half second half they got themselves a bit more together um, and they showed what they can do because Again, you're looking at progress, and awfully, there is some serious talent in that awfully team. Very, very young, serious talent. Um, forwards who can take on shots. Like one of the best goals you've seen probably in the championship this year was scored by the young lad who came on. I can't remember his name now, but the outside of his right boot, bang, top corner. Absolutely screamer near the end of the game. Mm. Um, fantastic finish, and a fantastic goal because he sets it up. He goes for the 1 2. Great determination, and puts it in the back of the net. But. You know, if I'm Offaly again, and if you're Michael Dignan, and if you're all the people in Offaly, you're saying to yourself, you know what, okay, we bowed out against Westmead, we showed good fight, maybe the the, the, the measure of the of, of the result was, was probably a little bit more favourable to Westmead. Um, a bit naive at the back, if we can tighten it up at the back, if we can get a bit more of a defensive structure, we have the forwards to probably really build on and 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 punish teams over the next number of years. So, you know, it's again. I just go back to it that those lads they would have been gone, you know, and they'd be back with their club, and you know, whereas they're staying there and they can get those extra six or eight weeks with a management team, and they can keep building and keep trying to get things right um, and bring in new fellas, and then all of a sudden you can see fellas even you know when you're ten or twelve points behind. And you have a player who just throws up the white flag and says, oh, listen, I'm done, or gives a black card or gets a red card or something like that. You know to yourself, this guy isn't really made of it. Mm. But if you see and you see fellas digging in, you're, t- you're, you know, you're putting marks beside them for the following year saying, you know what, these guys have done it in that situation and they nearly brought us back. So as a management team, you learn an awful lot. Um, but no, West, like Offaly will be disappointed, of course, but I, I think there were some mitigating factors as well in their preparation that didn't help them. Uh, Cahill Flynn, by the way, the fellow who scored that incredible goal yeah. for, for Offaly yesterday. So the, the Talton Cup final is uh, going to be a three o'clock throw-in on the 9th of July. That'll be a, a curtain raiser for the semi-final on the, the Galway Armagh, Derry Clare side of, of the draw. You obviously had a double header yesterday in a prime spot, nothing else going up against it. The GEA have clearly made an effort of, of putting the spotlight on this thing or at least allowing it to flourish. What would you change for next season? Or had they got this thing right in, in season one, do you think? Um... I think the Talton Cup final should be on the same day as the the the, the All Ireland final. You do, yeah, yeah. 
I think I think it should be absolutely, um, and I think why not? You know, I think I think you've you've got in there, you know. Like, look, I I I think there's probably t- things that you could tweak, um, and there's certain ways, and you know, you'd probably have to talk to the players and say, listen, how did you guys handle it? How did you find it? Um, you talk to the managements involved, and you get just an understanding of what works best. There's plenty of time in the, in, in in the calendar, as 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 you know. So, um, can I just that? Is it like to has an elitist mindset? Like, would you put the Europa League final on the same ticket as the Champions League final? Like, I mean, the the, yeah. the, the European rugby setup, I think anyway, have a good setup where they have the Challenge Cup final on the Friday, the the Heineken Cup final on the Sunday or the Saturday. Like, you could do a Saturday Sunday setup. You could do a Saturday Sunday. Maybe absolutely. not. Maybe you do put them on the yeah. same ticket and you know forget the people, forget the extra thirty thousand tickets that won't go to the two Sam McGuire or for the Talton Cup counties as well. The, the sharing of the tickets and all that. Which yeah, there issue. is the share. Yeah, so like, I mean, you know, people will jump up and down and say, "Listen, it's hard enough to get all Ireland final tickets, so you know now you're going to make it really impossible." Absolutely, um, you would probably have the argument that the minor sometimes was on obviously in the past uh, so that might draw from the senior anyway yeah fair. Um, you know so until uh, I think I think maybe initially like I mean, I, from what I can see and even seeing the papers and the press and you know I, I think you know initially there was all this kind of giving out about the talent cup and that was the, it was like the, there's no such thing as bad publicity mm. it was the best thing for us because people were talking about it now I think people have actually looked and after if people really sat down and watched those games yesterday or, or even went into it they'd see four teams going at it who you, who you could quite clearly see wanted to win their games, right? They weren't just throwing out the jerseys and saying, Jesus, this is a this is a postseason campaign here and it's a bit of a disaster. We don't really want to be involved here. Um, I think the final will be a cracking final mm. um, and it will be full of quality and it could be better than the All-Ireland final, <laughs> you know, as a spectacle. Mm. <laughs> so, like, I mean, you might go into that day and go, Jesus, I wish this was on, on the Sunday if it was on the Saturday. It's hard to know. Nathan's point about... You know the fa- the fact that you the 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 fear is gone. You can see there was no fear in those teams yesterday. You know there was no fear of being beaten. There was no fear of not getting their tactics right. There was no fear of being lambasted. There was a kind of like this is a free shot, and they went out and they played with abandon. You know they just went at it, and that's fantastic to see. And you kind of you kind of go, Jesus, why don't more teams do this? Yeah. You know whether it's whether it's in the provincial championships or whatever it is later in the day like of course you have to tip your hat to a team and have strategies and tactics and all that stuff but for me I think it's the only way to go at football or to go at sport Yeah well I think next year uh, if the round robin comes in which I think it's expected to for the Talchin Cup like again that makes a massive difference because yes. as a manager you can sit down and almost plan out your year and say well regardless of what happens in Leinster or Munster we know we're going to be playing three more games, so book yourselves in, lads, right till the end of May. Yes. And suddenly you've got your six, seven league games. You've got, you know, you've got 10, 11 matches throughout a year, uh, all of which are important. Yeah. And that's, that's what the players want, that's what the manager want, and generally all against teams at your own level. And like, it'll be fascinating to see how this builds into next year because, you know, Westmead finished third in Division Three, so they are the neck, they should be the best team in this yeah. Talchin Cup. Uh, if they go and win this, you're guaranteed a spot in Sam Maguire next year, regardless of what happens in the league. But do they now kick on? Like, do they take confidence into Division Three next year and say, you know, we are the best of the rest? And, we can build and actually start to you know, close the gap on Dublin or maybe even beat a Meath or a Kildare in the Leinster yeah. Championship. Yeah. Like that's what you want from this. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 100% is what you want. And as I say, it, it, it's also, I think it is about finding, you know, when you, have, when you have the behemoth, which is Dublin, and we know we've spoken about this in the last number of months, when you have them in, 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 in 
Leinster. Um, what happens is, and and you know, I know I heard the interview with Andy with you guys a couple or whatever to it last week. Maybe you know when when you're talking about you know what is your focus every year? What is your focus every year? And no matter whether you're Kildare, Westmead, Mead, whoever you are in Leinster, is it to win Leinster? Is that your ambition every year? Because if I went in, I'm just saying, like, let's say, you know, slagging earlier on, say you go in for the me job and someone says, well, what, what, what's your ambition this year? I'm not saying not to win Leinster. Because if you win Leinster, you win in the All-Ireland. Mm. You know? So, is it, like, I mean, are you going in and say, oh, I want to win the All-Ireland? So you're saying, actually, no, our focus this year is, without being the usual, to be as competitive as it, but actually to show, what, what, again, what is success for us, right? So our league basis has to be success. So you're in the top two or top three in the league. That's what you're really pushing for. That's what you're, or even top four in Division 2, which is where you are, or whatever. If it's, if it's Westmead, Cooney's sitting down now, he's saying, right, lads, we need to build on this. We need to get out of Division 3, and we're pushing to get into Division 2. We're looking for a good run. But then if... Then quarterfinal. Yeah, it's all those different things. But, you, you know, but the Talton Cup then affords you, as you rightly say, Nathan, it, 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 it lets you map out as a management team and as a squad, right, this is where we're going and this is where we need to focus. We have this, and this is what we want to achieve by the end of it. And then at the end of it, we'll we'll decide whether we had a successful year or not, based on whatever happened during the year. But at least it gives you. It's not an all or nothing thing. Bang, and the next thing we're into the qualifiers, and sure, who knows? Like I mean, we could meet someone massive, or we could meet someone, and we go on a bit of a run or not. There's a there's a there's a there's a pathway if you get me, you know. And it's something. The that's more interesting very, very pathway would be if the winner of the Talton Cup, if there was a way of fixing it, the calendar, which doesn't seem available now, if the winner of the Talton Cup got into an All Ireland quarter final at the end of the it, same year, and suddenly like you have this wave of momentum, and Westmead are going in, and you're looking at a draw, uh, potentially a favourable draw against one of the qualifiers, whatever way. They, I, I don't know if, it, if there's any way of figuring. I think that, that out, I think that I think that would be a fantastic idea because I then, really then it's in the same because the the one issue for Westmead or Cavan now is like they don't they won't play a game again after this for seven months. And while we're talking yeah. about momentum, yeah. that's a hard thing to keep. Yeah. through or a long maybe winter. you know what? Whoever just whoever gets into the final. Mm. Like I mean, to be some hell of a difference of motivation for teams in the Talton Cup, then you know that they find their way back in, as you say, back into the latter stages of the qualifiers. Maybe not a qual- I don't know what way you would do it, but but you know, uh, who's going to win that final? Uh, yeah, I was impressed with Cavan yesterday. Um, I really was, but again, when they look to be massively in control of the game. Sligo could have had five goals, you know. Um, Westmead were very, very uh, efficient. I think in obviously in Hessland they have a player who is in imperious form. He's just you know doing everything he needs to do up there, um, and he'll take massive watching. I wouldn't be surprised if Calvin put just put two players on him and then see how the rest work out. But they've a nice little forward line, uh, uh, Westmead. They've got a little bit of danger everywhere. Decent midfield, um, you know, strong at the back. It's it's that's it's going to be a very very tight game. That very very tight game. Or I honestly I can't call it. I think it's going to be massively massively close. It is then this weekend, All Ireland football quarterfinals weekend. Can I get one word for each of the games? So yeah, go uh, for it. Let's go, <laughs> Derry Clare first. Derry, Dublin Cork, Dublin, Galway Armagh, Armagh. That's the big one. Uh, Kerry Mayo, Kerry. Sure about Nathan. that. I, I I am, but I tell you this much: the more it goes, and the closer it gets. I know. 
What's the story with Clifford, if you don't mind? Are you not allowed? To, uh, I, Yara, I, I'm sure the Yara, the, they'd be, I'd say they're pressing the red button them. at they're the re- moment. They might rest them again this weekend. <laughs> yeah, right? for the Dublin game. I, I think it was like, I mean, I think it was maybe like 90 minutes between the text last week being like, Clifford's out and uh, Clifford's flying in training and good to go. Yeah, so. exactly, yeah. I, think <laughs> I don't know. Nobody that, knows. The, it's funny, you know, the, the more I think about it, and maybe it's just one of these things where you talk yourself into it, but I think Mayo are perfectly suited for Kerry. In the sense that, uh, as we know, you know the Kerry defence has really improved this year. The Mayo forward line isn't fantastic this year, but Mayo's main strength comes from two, three, four, five, and seven. You know, bombing up the pitch, and that will not be liked by the Kerry full, full forward line. They will not want to. Uh, Stephen O'Brien will do you. He'll do your donkey work up and down. No bother. As will you know uh, who's usually on the other side. The Adrian Spillane Adrian Spillane or one of the But but will David if he if they manage to take off the cotton wool and uh, you know will Ganey will the rest of the lads will they fancy chasing the boys Keegan Hora and the rest of the lads up and down Crow Park? They don't like running. They don't like it up and carry. Oh, well, they, 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 listen, the they're like a nice, of, they're, like they're a nice thinking about Dublin out. in the semi-final. They have the hotel rooms booked in Dublin for the weekend of the semi-final against Dublin. You want to have them booked, to be fair. Well, Nathan, that's fair then, enough, but I'm know. just saying, like, you know, you've got the arrogance of Kerry on one side and the humbleness of Mayo people mm-hmm. on the other. And let's see what Well, Actually, I believe yeah. they, they'll probably just book the, the, the hotels right through. You know, they'll probably just say, listen, we'll just keep going all the way through to the end. You know, so we'll be here again. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You you get a discount. Yeah, I'm sure. Like you could always just like put, a few of us could get together, put up a few couches for the poor carry players when they get to the All Ireland semi-finals. Yeah. You know, if, they, if it comes to that. <laughs> um, thank you for bringing your humility to proceedings this morning. Is, would you say this carry team owner is already better than the dub six in a row when inside? Right, just about level power, I'd say. Okay. Just uh, one, one, one might have a nose in front. Anthony, thanks for popping in this morning. <laughs> no Enjoy this weekend. Uh, OTBA are already talking about the weekend on Monday morning. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back tomorrow morning from half past seven as ever. Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent will be with us in studio for the morning. So we'll have uh, Andy Mitten talking Manchester United. Vinnie Perth will be talking about some of the Republic of Ireland players and their transfer business this summer. Uh, we'll have Deal or No Deal back as well and plenty more besides. OTB AM With Gillette Get into your flow With the new Gillette Labs Razor With exfoliating bar